We're live, Mayor. Regress. I would like to call to order the City Council meeting of April the 4th, 2023. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely, through Zoom or by telephone. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet? Here. And Park Board, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yes, good evening. Uh, Mike Holland, Chair of the Park Board. Uh, I'd like to ask the Park Board members to introduce themselves and also state how long they've been on the, on the board, starting with... Uh, Oops, me too. Here we go. Roshanpreek, uh, since 2020. Hi, Amy Ambrosini, uh, just about one year now. I'm Kathy Carney, and I'm a new member since January. Tessa Hansen, uh, this is my second year. Well, great. Thank you so much. Mm. We're, the Park Board is very happy to be here tonight for our annual joint, joint session. And... Um, you know, the, the Park Board has two primary topics to talk about today. Obviously, one, the big one, the big elephant in the room is the, the November ballot measure, if that's what we're going to be doing and what might be included on that. The Park Board has some ideas they'd like to share. And number two is, generally speaking, with the increase in population here in Kirkland, growing, growing, uh, the Park Board would like to talk about park service level. So those are the two major items that the Park Board has kind of thought about for maybe topics that we'd like to, to address tonight and certainly anything else that Council would like to chat about. So thank you. Super Mike, before we get going, I missed a cue. So I'm just going to insert the announcement of the study session, which is a special joint meeting with the Park Board. After our study session, we will be meeting an executive session to discuss the potential acquisition of real property. If you are a member of the public joining us by Zoom this evening, please exit and log off the Zoom feature during our executive session. You will then need to log back in to Zoom when one of our regular meeting when our regular meeting reconvenes at approximately 7:30. Thank you. Okay, City Manager. Okay, thank you. So, <clears throat> just really quickly before you dive into the fun stuff, uh, I want to acknowledge this is actually our first in-person joint meeting in over three years. So. Congratulations, everybody. We made it through to the other side. Um, and thank you for your flexibility. We actually had a hard time remembering how to do this. So this is our first setup. So we're going we're gonna to get better and better at this. So thank you all. Um, we also want to have a chance to introduce the park staff uh, who are here, because they'll also be part of this conversation. So I want to go ahead and turn it over to Lynn Zwagstra, the uh, Parks and Community Services Director. Hi, everybody. Thanks for hosting us this evening. We're very happy to be here. I wanted to introduce a couple of the park staff members. Uh, we have John Lloyd participating virtually. He's our deputy director. And starting on this end, we have Jason Filan, our parks manager. We have Sarah Schellenbarger over here, our recreation manager. And next to me is Mary Gardaki, our park planning and development manager. Um, and they all play a, a pretty significant role with Park Board as well as uh, Park Board's two topics that they are interested in, in discussing today. Um, so as you know, this is the annual, annual meeting. Typically each year we have a joint meeting to talk about 
various issues that council might be interested in or the park board might be interested in. And um, as Mike mentioned, there are two topics for this evening would be the ballot measure and the level of service, uh, parks level of service. Um, throughout the ballot process, the exploratory process, let me be more specific, the exploratory process, um, we've been keeping park board up to date on all the conversations. They've been provided with all the same materials as PFAC. And Mike Holland, as a park board representative, was a, a member of PFAC. And so Mike was also providing updates to the park board. And uh, they've had some of their own discussion on the, the ballot measure, and they're hoping to share some of that with you this evening. So, Mike. How would you like us this to uh, proceed uh, on this? Would you like us to hear some thoughts from the park board on the PFEC findings, or um, <laughs> what would be the appropriate methodology to? Okay, well, we, I don't know if you guys got it, but we all received an overview, a memo. So we have some understanding of, of where your thoughts are um, I think we would like to have you sort of fill in any blanks or just give us candid feedback with regard to how you would suggest we proceed to the ballot. Um, so, uh, park board members, I'm going <clears> to <throat> I am going to give it a go to summarize our findings from the March 8th meeting, uh, where we discussed the PFEC findings and our thoughts in a one-hour one-hour session at that time. Um, holistically speaking, there was clear agreement with the Park Board that an aquatic slash recreational center is number one priority above all, all others. Clearly, um, there was pretty clear consensus by the Park Board location of that aquatic center should be at the Houghton site. Um, and we felt that one large aquatic center would best meet the needs of the city of Kirkland to do something that's a large enough scale that would actually meet the needs today and also have the capacity to grow to address future needs as the population increases. Uh, we also realize that North Kirkland Community Center is getting towards end of life. We have to do something with that property also. But for right now, uh, we, we, did, we did not come up with a conclusion on what that, what that additional North Kirkland Community Center, the recommendation for that, other than an affirmation, we have to do something. Um, also trying to be aware of the, uh, the costs that the citizens of, of Kirkland uh, might be asked to support if we went to two aquatic centers or two recreational facilities. So um, that, was, that was the number one recommendation by the Park Board. Um, <clears throat> number two recommendation of the Park Board was um, that we felt there were a couple things that came out of the PFEC that were funded by operating, operational uh, activities, so they were operational cost. And we felt that um, a bond measure of this size and scope, we didn't really not want to uh, burden the citizens of Kirkland with operating cost kind of things 
and this big, big ballot measured measure. Um, we also felt that the um, the green the green loop what was it called? Yeah, the gloom the green loop trail. While really a neat activity, the park board felt that there wasn't just not enough bang for the buck, so to speak, to um, actively support that uh, green trail loop project and place it within the top five initiatives to be included in the, um, <clears throat> in, the in the levy or the bond, wherever the funding is. Um, Mike, can, can you help us understand, because you're on PFAC. Yes. So each of the two organizations came to a different conclusion. Yes, that's correct. So the park board came up with different ideas than PFEC. And again, PFEC was 45 people, all coming from all across Kirkland. The park board is, is seven people. And the park board had been ex maybe exposed to more over a longer, longer time with the pros plan and uh, receiving monthly briefings uh, from consultants and so forth. Uh, I think the park board had some ideas going into the into the summary meeting from March eighth. Would be a fair statement. Okay, thank you. Um, so there's more. To, there's more that came out of the March eighth meeting that the park board. But I wanted to open it up to the park board members, if we should anything major that we wanted to hit that we haven't already. And it looks like Amy wanted to. I think so. Overall, the park board was very appreciative and supportive of the work that PFEC did. So I did. While I think there were some variances in what came out of our March eighth meeting, I think overall, I just want to be clear: we are supportive of what PFET came out um, with and are aligned. It was about a few questions on how can we, how do we feel about the capability of making that a successful ballot measure, right? And so I, I had the, I gave some of the feedback around the cost, right, around what PFET came out with as their recommendation. Um, I know in speaking with my neighbors, there is some surprise um, at that. And given the current <coughs> economic environment, specifically in Kirkland, with a lot of, I know my immediate neighbors hit by um, the tech layoff specifically, whether or not how palatable that would be, um, and with the property tax increases, et cetera. So those, that was some of the discussion that I wanted to add in. But overarching, the park board was very supportive, um, very appreciative of the work that PFEC had done. So I want to just give that color just so that it's not as if we were extremely divisive. There were some nuances, I would say, on what we thought were maybe some of the slight different priorities um, and what our thoughts were on how to make that successful. I think that was actually pretty well articulated <clears throat> in the memo uh, with regard to areas that where you've received a lot of feedback and have felt like we needed to make improvements. Anybody else? If I asked, I know one of the things, you also had some suggestions of things you would want to see in the ballot measure that weren't. Maybe there's a member who wants to speak a little bit to why you liked those investments as opposed to what was there. Um, I'd be happy to talk about that. Anybody else want to 
uh, address those those topics, Ka uh, Kathy? I attended the Rose Hill Community Meeting, South Rose Hill Community Meeting, and they have strong support for um, extending the life and lots of questions about how long the pop-up dog park will be there and would like that to become a permanent um, offering for parks. And so I, you know, as far as the um, Finn Hill Green Loop, what I see is a trade-off between incremental moving towards a project that would not be completed to be able to be used by our citizens with this levy and trading it off with um, some park measures that are rated highly. They just didn't make the top five, but could be completed so that um, our residents could use them immediately. So I think that um, I've been thinking about this just a lot, obviously prepping for this meeting. And, you know, the bottom line is we want something to pass. This is a really big deal. You know, we want it to go through. Um, and it's just like, what is the minimum that we could do that won't scare people away? You know, what is the appetite for the community? And maybe that's just doing one aquatic center, the biggest one at Houghton Park and Ride and you know, the other low-hanging fruit can be used in other, you know, in the budget other ways, or um, that's kind of just what I've been thinking, and part of me is like, that's just the cheapest one-and-done kind of scenario, and that's what I've been thinking about this week. Kelly, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, as chair of the PFAC, it's been a long process, and I love that all of you I know have been eager to have this opportunity to talk to us about it and have been, I know that uh, Mike's been keeping you up to speed, and I'm sitting here trying to figure out how we can integrate PFAC feedback and park board feedback and put forward a great ballot measure for the community because your voice is important. As Mike said, you've lived doing this for some of you for many years and some of you for a short time. Um, and you also, if and when something <coughs> passes, you will be carrying it forward into the community. This will, this will be your role. Um, so, you know, we are going out with a survey and some of your feedback we can incorporate into that survey, the questions that we'll be looking at later in the night. Um, I do want to say that PFAC had, a, as you guys know, there's a high demand for many, many operational and both capital elements. And PFAC was given a list of 22 things and tried to squeeze it into a ballot measure. One of the things that they didn't do and, and basically weren't allowed to do was say, put these in the budget because that was not their task. Their task was what can go in a ballot measure. So, um, but one thing that was very clear is that PFEC believed in all 22 elements and gave the council the charter of, we're going to put these five, recommend these five in the ballot measure. You, council and city manager and staff, need to figure out how to fund everything else. So the mission was how to accelerate. So I am interested in um, hearing more about uh, you all were strongly on Houghton 
as the spot. So I would like to hear more about that. And I'd like to hear more about, um, well, you had mentioned that you went to Rose Hill. And I think all of you are assigned to neighborhoods. So it might be informative to just hear what neighborhood you're assigned to. Um, and so I'd like to hear about that. And yes, dog parks have been high demand. And I assume they are talking about Snyder's Corner. OK. Um, so if you could just you know, help educate all of us a little bit more on the trade-offs of the, of the ballot elements that you recommend as opposed to PFEC and a little bit more about um, the Houghton, the strong recommendation on Houghton. I think that would be helpful, at least for me. And Mike, you can't be the only one that talks. Call on Rosha. No, I'm teasing you. <laughs> um, just a comment, general comment. Um, while the park board has some different ideas, all the all the ideas that have been voiced by PFEC and by the park board, they're all in the top eight. Just different. They're just shuffled a little bit, but they're all in the top eight projects. So I didn't want you to think that. <clears throat> Uh, the park board went down to number 22 in the list and brought it up. No, they were all just all bunched together. <clears throat> but based on our feedback that we've gotten from our neighborhood associations and uh, just talking to neighbors, you know, uh, Kurt, you asked what else did the did the did the park board recommend that wasn't in PFEC, and there were two items that. Uh, that the park board thought maybe shuffle them up a little higher in the list. One was um, security. Park security was pretty high on the park board list based on our conversations with, with uh, citizens. And then number two uh, was turf. <coughs> Synthetic turf fields was also raised as a higher priority item by the park board. Again, they're all in the top eight. It's not like we're pulling from the bottom. But the problem is that all of these items we talked about have different costs. Cost per thousand, cost per million, whatever it is. There's, it's a lot of money sometimes. So I know that PFECT, as, as Council Member Curtis mentioned, PFECT try to keep a, a bundle of projects to keep it at $260 per per thousand. And I know that the park board made no effort. The projects that the park board verbalized in a, in a one hour meeting, PFEC we met for hours and hours and hours and hours. Park board, we had a one hour meeting to put together this top five list. So it's not surprising, it's different. But we did not have the time at that meeting to actually say this is <clears throat> $290,000 per, per thousand. We just didn't do that. The question was, what's important to the park board? And that's what the park board uh, uh, um, verbalized. So. Uh, and just, just to clarify, the <clears throat> $260 is an annual cost to a house that's a million dollar household. That's about 23, 24 cents per thousand, just in case there was any confusion about that. So. But that's a really good point that there was a considerable discussion at PFEC about the costs, and it sounds like you didn't have the opportunity to do that. So. Thanks, Mike. Maybe, it, oh, sorry, Councilman. I just wanted to ask for <clears throat> amplification and clarification on what you mean by security. Are we talking about like 
patrols at night to prevent vandalism or keep people from being in the parks after hours? Are we talking about daytime patrols to stop crime or misbehavior or off-leash dogs or whatever the problems might be during the day when people are allowed in the park or all of the above? Oh, so this is one I had flagged so it was easy to, but what we were given as um, what enhanced park safety and security would be was a project total cost of $700,000, an annual cost to a $1 million home of $1.04, and then the project description was enhanced security, including security cameras, automated features, dark sky lighting, two new full-time equivalent park rangers, and two part-time seasonal staff. And it also had to do with uh, setting up um, cameras at all the different parks. They could be monitored, re monitored remotely. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> park rangers. Kelly. Well, I, I would just, I, I think Council Member Nixon and I are both kind of trying to tease out. So is, was security elevated in your mind as an area of importance because of feedback you're hearing from the community? Um, where did that come from? You had asked earlier what um, community associations were assigned to. I'm assigned to Finhill, but they haven't had a meeting since I was. There was one meeting, but that was a brand new meeting, so I believe one of the other members, maybe it was Mike, went and spoke to them regarding the PFEC process and park board. Um, but I'm also assigned to South Rose Hill, and I live in Juanita, close to Juanita Beach Park. And because of that, my neighbors and I talk about the security of that park in particular, mm -hmm. um, which is one reason why it was elevated um, in my mind to think about trade-offs between the um, Fin Hill Green Loop acquisitions and some of the things that were right below the five-level cutoff. Yeah, it's interesting that over the last few years, the greatest amount of feedback I've gotten from Fin Hill is about Big Fin Hill Park and the lack of coverage from the county, which still has responsibility for security in that park. And they've had repeated incidents of vandalism, people driving on the lawns, tearing them up, um, uh, people setting off uh, fireworks and explosives, for all we know, <laughs> loud booming things <clears throat> in that park. And it takes the sheriff a half hour to an hour to get there, right? And so th that's an interesting observation, I think, because the solution might be taking over Big, big Fin Hill Park security from the county. We've had that discussion before. I was going to add to Toby the list of things that have happened at Big Fin Hill Park. The entire play structure was burnt down right. when my kids were in, um, I believe, at late elementary school. Neil. Um, so uh, a question, a comment, and then a question. So uh, I did want to follow up on um, Council Member Curtis's question about uh, the neighborhood assignment. So like Amy, what, what, what are your neighborhood assignments? Okay. And then, um, sorry, Rashan. Market neighborhood. Market neighborhood Association. Gotcha. Okay. 
Um, and then my comment is, uh, which will end in a question. Um, I don't know if there's any department other than maybe um, fire and police that are as um, reliant upon tax levy increases uh, and voter approved tax levy increases than uh, parks departments. And I don't think that's unique to Kirkland. I think that's the nature of, the, of taxation in the state of Washington and taxation for municipalities. Um, and I'm, uh, I'll, I'm sensitive to the uh, cost of this ballot measure. I think that's universal with every member of PFEC, PFEC um, every huh. member of the park board um, staff, and every probably every council member. Um, if we are to go forward with the ballot measure, we want it to pass, but super sensitive to the cost of it. And what every, all the feedback I've got from PFEC is that PFEC 2 is very sensitive to the cost. Um, one thing I'm hearing from the park board's recent meeting is that there might have been, um, uh, that, that that issue came up in the, with the park board discussion as well. Um, the one thing that um, I'm thinking about, and I guess I just want to hear how much the park board has talked about this issue versus how much PFEC explored this issue. Uh, because one thing about PFEC, eight months they've, they've been meeting, um, there's probably no group of 45 citizens in the uh, residents in Kirkland who've taken as deep a dive into um, public finance uh, than, than PFEC. Um, sensitive to cost, but also super deep dive over an eight-month period. Um, and although they have that sensitivity, they still came up with this proposal. I'd like to understand a little bit just how um, I imagine the park board um, clearly has that sensitivity. Does it have as much understanding of the of public finance or has it had that much? Uh, what has been the, the, the experience for the park board in that regard? Because one thing that I've heard is their increase in property tax. Well, there won't be an increase in property tax in, in, in the city of Kirkland other than the 1% statutory. Um, unless there is a tax levy increase approved by the voters. Um, so um, I just want to understand that a little bit better. So that's my question. Maybe? So first to say, we do not have nearly, I think as I can speak for all the park board members, we did not dive nearly that deep, nor do, like, we don't have as strong of an understanding. I will also say, I don't think our neighbors do either. So at the Everest meeting, um, the last one, they did... Um, Someone came and spoke and explained the whole property taxes, and I know I've seen in other forums as well. They're just, in general, and I can tell you we have a text thread on my street where someone's like, our property taxes are, did your valuation go up? So I think there's, in general, a lack of understanding mm -hmm. on how do property taxes work, what's going to happen with the recent valuations, um, and all of that. So <coughs> maybe it's just the level set there. That being said, I know that I shared some of the findings from PFAC and PROS plan, et cetera, with neighbors in general, um, and there was surprise, right? Um, and um, I wouldn't say outstanding support when I talked to some of my immediate neighbors. And that's a much smaller pool, though, right? So again, it doesn't have nearly the reach that PFAC does, so I don't want to over-amplify a few voices. <coughs> so I think that's where it came from, is I did speak with some of my neighbors, shared some of uh, what PFEC had been looking at and some of the outcomes. I think the way that it was presented to us was extremely is concise, right? They tried to make it very digestible for 
a one-hour meeting. Um, so we did not have that depth. So that's, I can say I brought the cost up because I did have that conversation with a number of my neighbors and did have universal surprise. I think there is a sensitivity. Also, I know in my neighborhood, there have been a number of layoffs in the past couple months as well. So again, maybe this is um, just a little, you know, small part of Kirkland, um, but I wanted to bring that to the table. Well, I just, I, I don't, thank you for that. That's really helpful. And I don't think it's, it's not a small part of Kirkland. It's spread out through the entire Kirkland. But, and ballot measure approval is as much perception as it is fact. So what you're describing is important from the standpoint if the council decides that it's going to go forward with a ballot measure, the perception of um, property tax increases are as important as the, because our 93,000 residents and our 65,000 voters are not going to be able to spend eight months the way PFEC did understanding public finance. It's just not possible. So I really appreciate that, Amy. Thank you. Mayor? Yes, go ahead. I just wanted to know, um, we did, you know, the park board has been heavily involved in the pros plan, and that was kind of what started this initially, and we were really intimate with that, probably read the whole dang thing. So, you know, that is a something to point out, maybe not finances, but that was a huge community survey, 4,300 people. So at least we kind of have a grasp on what the needs of the community are. Go ahead, Amy. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, that was a really good question, Councilmember Black. And Amy, thank you so much for sharing that. I think I do agree with Councilmember Black and, and yourself that I do think that's representative, likely, of a lot of residents and voters in the city of Kirkland. It's complicated. Our tax structure is complicated. It's, you know, I know I've had multiple <laughs> briefings and, and um, you know, sessions with staff to try to really understand how that works. And so even as council members, it can be complicated, right? And so I remember, I think, for the fire ballot measure, was it, um, um, Madam Mayor, that there was uh, a great video that helped explain some of that financing and tax structure. And I wonder if, you know, as part of this process, we could help, you know, pro provide more educational opportunities for the public. I don't know if it means repurposing that video or repackaging similar information relevant to the work that we're doing now, but I think it's a great opportunity to help educate folks because it is complicated and it is messy. We, we did end up linking those videos to the park PFEC website, but we can send them out to everybody and they are helpful because we did repurpose them a little bit, but they're all still very general for something that's pretty complicated. But that's a great suggestion to sort of elevate that. But, but they are there today if you want to find them. So. Oh, sorry, John, I'll send to John. Okay. Um, so, Going back to um, the recommendation that lifeguards and uh, expanded hours of lifeguards and youth programming should be paid for in a different way. And again, PFEC wasn't given that opportunity to say, these things put in the budget now. So if you did not have that option to make that recommendation, would you have elevated those two items more? She can. <laughs> so, you you in what from my understanding from the memo was expanded lifeguard guard hours and youth teen youth programming were important, but you felt like those were elements that we should pay we should pay for in our ongoing budget and not be part of the ballot measure, which PFEC didn't have the ability to make such a recommendation. It was take the twenty two elements and prioritize what the top five are. 
So if you didn't have the option to make that recommendation, pay for these two things a different way, would you have put them higher up in your hierarchy of things that should go in the ballot? Does that make sense? That yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I you know, haven't um, made a consensus opinion with the park board, but personally I have a real strong desire to see water safety improved offering-wise for the city of Kirkland. Um, I live off of Juanita Bay and often see just poor water safety practices. Um, and so the ability for the city to offer um, enhanced lifeguarding and, um, you know, life vests at the parks that are the lake parks, which I believe is part of the water safety, um, however it is paid, paid for, I think is an important offering. Um, I think that the reason that suggestion came apart about was this thought that um, ongoing um, operational costs seem um, a little bit harder to put into a levy as presented to the public um, rather than capital improvements. Personally, I would say that that is um, something that's extremely important to the state of Kirkland because we sit on the lake as a city. Yeah. Okay, going to go to John. Yeah. And then to yeah, and this is a this is a good discussion, and I have a comment and a question. It's going to kind of build off of this discussion that we're having right now. Um, but first, I'd just like to say that I really appreciate the openness that that you all are kind of entering this discussion with. Um, it's not, you know, it can be a, a challenging discussion to present an alternative idea. Um, and so it's it's good because I think the public's, we have to be prepared to answer these questions. The public's going to ask as well. Um, so it, it, it helps us. Uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, going back to this, this, I think the two things that I heard you all say are the turf fields and the dog parks, which I think we all agree are high priorities all around. It's just, um, and when I think of those two things and this discussion about operations, what I've learned over time as a council member is ongoing operational costs are sometimes the most difficult to fund. Um, I, capital expenditures are, it's not to say capital is, isn't easy. It's just that there's sometimes more um, opportunities and sources of funds to pursue capital improvements, one-time funds. It's easier to come up with one-time funds using other people's money sometimes. And so uh, when I think of uh, dog parks and turf fields, dog parks, I believe we have funded in, uh, well, we have a dog park funded in the capital program. It's out a couple years. And that's something that we intend to pursue regardless of you know, the outcome here. Um, as of you know right now and then turf fields is, is something that we've really invested a lot of planning into and we're kind of seeing you know our first one come to realization uh, with 132nd square park and we want to kind of see that be very successful and see how that that works for the community and I think the community is going to respond very favorably to it um, but my understanding is that there's turf fields actually and field improvements there's pots of money out there at the state level, the recreational program and, and stuff that we could pursue, you know, 
over time as we develop other plans um, and we can devote capital funding for. So I want those things, um, but I know the operational costs are really difficult, ongoing, and the, a levy really gives that opportunity. So I want them all, but, but, um, but is that true, I, I guess, Lynn or, or Mary, in terms of what I said about turf fields and the dog park funding, is that, did I misstate any of that? Yeah, there are grant programs available, and, and sometimes those grant programs um, kind of are restricted to a small dollar amount, and, and sometimes they're bigger. Right now, the King County um, Recreation Grant Program uh, just closed, uh, and we're re they're reviewing the, um, the applications, and that would award up to $5 million per project. So it's a competitive process. There are a lot of applications for limited dollars, but up to five million could be provided in that grant program. And then there are others as well. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, feedback and this perspective. We, we've got a tough job this time because normally with previous park measures, and uh, I go back to the 2012 park measure, we could go at this point and say, oh, maybe we add a little bit here and add a little bit here, add an extra money. When you're starting with $230 for an aquatic center and you have all these other things that are already at $260, $270, it, it makes it really hard. So I appreciate John's feedback at saying this is not the only way that we might do some of these things. There may be other things to the budget. You've made that point to say what can you fund through the budget. A couple of questions to that that I'd like to... Uh, understand a little more about about your feedback. I looked up the numbers for the enhanced lifeguarding and the teen programming. They're slightly higher than the security measures that you're saying that are higher priority. Um, so does it does it matter from the park board standpoint if those get funded? You're saying fund those operational pieces through the general budget, but does it matter if we Instead, say, okay, we take that feedback and we'll look for ways to do security in the base budget? I don't think we were um, given any guidance about whether or not there are <coughs> alternative ways to finance these right. projects. So that wasn't part of our discussion. Okay. Um, so any money's okay? I don't, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> The, the, the I other... think we're <laughs> interested in the projects being completed. Yep. Mm. I appreciate that feedback. The other piece is on the security measures. There were two parts of it. One's Mike's kind of mentioned the facilities part of it, and then there were park ranger positions. Can you talk about your priorities? When you talk about security, your priorities among some of those capital things versus some of those operational things. I think that was probably your design, staff's design around security piece yes yeah right we did put together the capital piece and the ongoing piece one of the things that that we're getting requests for on a daily basis is park rangers and enforcement in the parks but then there are other things from a capital standpoint that can be done to assist as well um, like automatic locking gates and a few of those things those aren't actually things people would see um, they're behind the scenes and I think if I were taking a guess, that folks would prefer the park rangers over the, the capital piece of it. Thank you. Got it. 
I'll offer a thought on that too. You know, part of what we were talking about at the last park board meeting was um, what will make this thing sell? Hmm. Okay. We know what the number one project is, and I had some comments about the scale of that and how it might be rationalized a little bit more with survey data maybe about what are the most important high-value things that people would vote for, and then which things could be um, that were on the list that had relatively lower cost but higher mental impact to get you to vote for it. And so part of the reason that I thought that the public safety piece would be a better one than, let's say, some other program, I don't know, KTUB or lifeguarding, um, was I thought that would attract more votes for the project. And so um, another park board member who isn't here tonight, you know, she was really big on, you know, if you put a dog park in there and public safety in there, you're likely to get more turnout to come and vote for the big thing that we really want, right? If you have to give something for other things to everybody, you got to figure out, well, which are the most uh, marketable and high value things from the people who are going to pay. And I appreciate your comment about, you know, how taxes work and all that. Um, there's a lot of homes that are more than a million, so it won't just be 260. <coughs> it might be, you know, 520 or more. And, you know, y you never know how people are feeling, right? If they're feeling very secure and flush, yeah, maybe they'll vote for it if they think they're going to use what's on the, on the measure. But if they don't, just think how many decades we've been after this, okay? It's frustrating. <laughs> and let's not... Let's have the right package, you know, and I, I respect other people's opinions about what, what would be saleable and what it is. I'll tell you that the park board doesn't have the same kind of, you know, if you've been in large meetings, especially ones that are, you know, facilitated by, you know, professional staff, right, they'll try and come up with something that they think is workable that you can try and dig down into and decipher into, and it's more free-flowing, you might get a little bit, obviously, different results. So I don't think that there's, you know, a big problem with that. It's a different source of inputs, right? So you get that. That's why I think this is such an important conversation, because we're all trying to get exactly. to the Cinderella picture. Um, so all of this discussion is valuable. Neil. Thanks, Mayor, Madam Mayor. So um, I, this, this is great, because I think it's a good segue to probably the uh, a really good point that we um, the council is going to be talking about, and that's our public survey and the opportunity to really look at, um, to make sure all these concepts, the concepts that we're hearing are, uh, that the park board wants to elevate, the, the, uh, the features that the, uh, the PFEC has identified as their highest priorities and test them um, in the community and find out where folks have the most, you know, what are their, uh, how would they stack rank it? Um, in the priority, so I think that's important. One point of clarification, just about the, because we have folks who are listening. Um, when I was talking about um, property taxes, it was it was it was said that property taxes are already going up. So this is in addition to that, and I just was clarifying that this is the issue. The issue is whether property taxes are going to go up based on a voter-approved tax levy, and then. The question is how big that should be, and um, and it is again, it is uh, as much perception as anything. I really do like the idea of doing more as much as we possibly can to help folks understand as best as they can uh, about uh, how their property tax, their base property taxes, uh, would be calculated without this levy, and how it would be calculated if this levy were uh, were approved by the voters. So, I think marketing a perception of what the value is going to be to the community. 
and you know longstanding desires, people will put the cost in place. But you got to also think about the fact that a lot of people just got 22% up, right? Just in the system that's voter approved and 1% and everything. But they're thinking, you know, am I going to be in for another thousand bucks a year? And how much will I use it? And what are the things that are really in it? You know, that's where it starts. And the pitch really has to be there's this huge public benefit that you and your families and for generations to come will will use this because it's operated well, it's right size, it's accessible, all the kind of things that we would want to pitch it to voters about. That's the reasoning for thinking about that. I don't think you'll ever win on saying, oh, well, it doesn't cost very much. You've got to try and stay away from the cost as much as possible and think about the benefit, I think. Yeah, and I think that's why the public survey will be so important. It'll be really understanding um, what folks are willing to approve. And, and then, and again, just to clarify for anyone listening, if, you're out, if, you're, if your assessment went up 22%, does not mean your taxes are going up 22%. So just want to make sure. Well, just to be clear. But, the, but it's still an issue of perception. Okay, just, just to be clear, as someone who actually got their bill, my actual dollar number went up 22%, not my assessment. It, it can. But it, I just I want the public to understand it doesn't automatically. Do. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> well, he's right. in this on a happy note. <laughs> so, I see the city manager. <clears throat> I just want to make sure we have about 15 minutes left. I want to make sure I don't want to stop this conversation at all, but make sure that the level of service conversation also, if there's comments that want to be given. But again, I want to make sure you get to say everything you want to say about the ballot measure. More on the ballot measure. Yeah. I, I think um, Councilmember Curtis didn't get one of her questions answered regarding the actual location and why we um, spoke about Houghton. Um, so I live close to North Kirkland Community Center and have not been to Houghton Park and Ride in a very long time. And what was um, evident to me because I drove over there is just the fact that um, it's ease of access to 405. Um, and that also that it doesn't sit within a neighborhood so that the traffic impacts would be less, in my viewpoint, at that location. Um, and as um, a parent who's lived in um, the Juanita area for quite a long time, thinking about the travel time with my kids um, in that area, if people are concerned about access for North Kirkland, on 116th, you can get on um, the Hayaki HOV lanes with a family without having to pay for the toll and also exit um, close to that area. So that also makes it a convenient location for people who are trying to shuttle kids in and out and you're not locked into the freeway um, unless you are less than two people during and I think the hours are um, four to a little bit around six or 6.30 for three people in those lanes. After that, it's two, and then after seven, it's free for all. So, um, so in my mind, that's why Houghton is a better location. Anybody else, or should we move to level of service? Mike, you want to start it? Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, we all know, obviously, the population of Kirkland is increasing and is forecast to increase substantially. We have this thing called the 85th Street Project, and if that 
goes as planned, that's going to be a, a substantial increase in population. The bottom line is, um, and what the Park Board talked about, we, from the PROS plan, the, the 2015 PROS plan said we had uh, um, almost, almost 10 acres per 1,000 residents for park space. And in the 22 PROS plan, that was reduced from, say, rounding to 10 acres to, uh, to eight, eight, a little less than eight acres. So, it's, it's, so the issue is our um, square footage per resident is decreasing. That means we have to use our park space, um, find ways to use our existing park space more. Um, turf fields is one of those ways. I think that's why some of the board members thought that turf would be a good, good option to include in the, in the initiative. If you have turf fields rather than grass, you can use them for many more hours per day. The usability aspect increases substantially, and that would impact the uh, um, the service, the acreage available to the citizens as our population grows. Also, um, we also have to think about how can we make use of smaller footprint parks. You know, uh, our Rainbow Park is a prime example of a small little park, but it's so heavily used. It's such a great park with the hydraulic feature there the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the artificial turf. It's heavily used. We've got to find more ways of, of doing that. So that was one of the, some of the topics we've talked about. Um, so I just want to open it up and let you know kind of what we're thinking about, and I'll turn it over to some of our other members. I don't think you'll find any argument <laughs> here with regard to turf fields. Now, the, the, if you will, the saleability of extending hours on parks might not be received as well as it could be. Um, but I know we want to get there, and I think that's one of the things that John was alluding to when we were talking about grants and, and the ability to have other people fund things for us. Um, so I, I just think we're at a p point where we recognize those issues. We are really excited about 132nd Square Park and the amount of use that it's going to get. And I personally have had a business on Marina Park for 40 years, till last Saturday, actually. Um, and uh, I can't tell you how much the population of that park on a daylime, daytime basis reflects the increase in our own population. It's, it's fabulous to watch. I mean, it's, it, I love it because it is so well used and, and effectively used. But um, that's a phenomena that needs to happen in all of our parks, even Spiny Hill. Other comments? John. Well, um, level service discussions can sometimes be a real yawner to see <laughs> folks but uh they're really important discussions uh when you're talking about all the different uh, infrastructure in, in the city and when it comes i really like your ideas here let me put a couple kind of things to think about perhaps one is whether passive park acreage per um you know per capita uh, should be treated a little bit differently than open space um, park acreage. Um, 
so that that would be something to think about. Whether you lump all those together, is that really is that a, is that the best way? Uh, because you get different benefits uh, from from each. Uh, and then the other thing that I I have seen other municipalities think more and more about, and maybe we do this in a different way, but but trying to incorporate uh, access and connectivity to to parks. Uh, into the level of service measure. So it, it might be great to have like a huge amount of acreage of parks, but if it's not fully accessible to a majority of the population, then I would, I would argue that that shouldn't be prioritized as high as on a level of service basis. So I don't know if, if we thought about that. Um, I know we have these discussions every few years and I always forget where our level of service policy is, but um, that's just something to think about. Interesting with this pros plan, we essentially introduced a second level of service uh, with the GRASP methodology. That's um, very much what uh, Mike and Roshan were talking about. The usability of parks is not just the park acreage. Uh, it will be very difficult to increase the park acreage in Kirkland. Uh, but the usability of the parks is, is the key. How do we expand the usability and the capacity of the park to um, grow with the population? Um, just for example, um, Mark Twain Park is um, over a five-acre park, and it's almost unusable right now because there's no way to park there and, and access it. So we've got five acres of open space sitting there, almost unused. And if we develop that park, uh, we could put in parking and a restroom and several um, sports courts or a synthetic turf field. So it's, it's access and it's thinking about the park in a, a different way. Um, so that's, that's the type of creativity we have to, to start getting into. And the pros plan does go into detail and separate all of the different types of parks out by open space or neighborhood park um, or community park. And then it goes even further on um, what has this type of court what it has on the waterfront and um, the ones that Kirkland was in the negative or didn't have enough of was neighborhood parks and that was kind of seen in the post plan last year. So you just mentioned the kind of data that's in the pros plan and I probably just need my memory to be refreshed a little bit. But do we have data on you know, the number of diamond fields per capita, the number of rectangular fields per capita, the number of tennis courts per capita, et cetera, and how we compare to national norms? Yes, we, we have that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. That would be a good thing to read up on. Yeah, we can provide that. Yeah. Our recollection is we're behind. <laughs> oh, certainly, but it can help prioritize. Like we can right. look at the ones that we're furthest behind on and yeah. prioritize those, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, we're behind further in some areas, and we're pretty on on target in others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was just gonna say I, ha I have it right here, and I can just really quickly. We have a surplus of baseball fields. We need more soccer slash football slash lacrosse fields. One skate park and one indoor pool. <laughs> there we go. That's a good, yeah. Good situation for sure. <laughs> the surplus of baseball fields confuses me, though, because 
per, per capita would be the issue. Oh, 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 okay. Doesn't change the scheduling issues, okay. I was also gonna say that I know um, just based on personal experience, baseball fields that are not turf fields have issues with usability, so I'm not sure if the number of baseball fields there are the dirt fields that are not as usable as the turf fields for um, actual regulation games. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I was just going to say thank you. And um, we will, thank you. Uh, we will continue this conversation later in the evening when we start looking at our survey questions and see how we can adapt those to incorporate some of your feedback. So, thank you. Thank you. No, this has really been helpful. I really do appreciate, as John said, how candid that you each have been. Um, it's a tough area of responsibility, and you guys are immersed in it a lot more deeply than we ever will be, maybe not at the kind of degree and level that, that PFEC was, but um, I know from the experience of working with Kelly how much you fall in love with, with the park system when you're on the parks board. So thank you for your service. Uh, keep up the great work, and we, are gonna, we hope that... Uh, you will help us flavor something that people are just going to really love. Until then, we are going to adjourn for an executive session on real estate. Recording in progress. All right, so uh, while the mayor is coming down, I just uh, want to say that we have uh, several people here to accept the proclamation. Uh, accepting it will be Karen Rogers, and who will be joined by her father, Ryan Rogers, and also Arzu Faro, the president and CEO of the Washington Autism Alliance, and community member Michelle Tresmer. So welcome. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm gonna to be reading a proclamation of the city of Kirkland proclaiming April as autism and other neurodivergence acceptance and appreciation month in Kirkland. Whereas autism and neurodiversity acceptance and appreciation month is observed to promote understanding, acceptance, appreciation, pride, and support for the entire neurodivergent community. 
And whereas autism and neurodiversity appreciation emphasizes the importance of celebrating the unique talents, skills, and contributions neurodivergent people possess, while recognizing the barriers and lack of sufficient accommodations that exist in society. And whereas Neurodiversity Celebration Week is typically celebrated in March and Autistic Pride celebrated in June, and some have begun to celebrate Autism Acceptance and Appreciation Month in the month of April to shift the focus away from Autism Awareness Month. And whereas Autistic and other neurodivergent people have created symbols that reflect pride in their identity, such as the infinity symbol and the colors red and gold, or a rainbow of colors. And whereas the concept of neurodiversity, which values the natural and healthy diversity of human brains, is rooted in the social model of disability, which asserts that disabilities mostly stem from the lack of accommodations for individuals' needs in society. And whereas functioning labels, such as high or low functioning autism, are harmful and not helpful, and autism is not a spectrum of least to most autistic, but is a spectrum of abilities that vary for each autistic person. And whereas autistic people take pride in the common autistic features, such as heightened empathy, attention to detail, deep focus, observational skills, creativity, accepting of others' differences, a commitment to integrity and loyalty, unique thought processes that lead to novel approaches and innovations, and more. Would you like a break? Yes. I'm good? Okay. Yes. We're going to take just a, a brief pause. <coughs> Okay, great, thank you. Okay, and whereas using positive language is important because most neurodivergent people see neurodivergence as a fundamental part of who they are and yet not defined by it. <coughs> Excuse me. And whereas if you're referring to an autistic person or neurodivergent person or group, you should ask them how they prefer to be identified and this preference should take precedence over any recommended language. And whereas autism and other types of neurodivergence are quite common in our society, and neurodivergent people make up about 15 to 20% of all the population in the United States. And whereas people with neurodivergent neurotypes may think and process information differently than other neurotypes, including the neurotypical majority, which often leads to misunderstanding mistreating, excluding, and othering of neurodivergent individuals. And whereas intersectional factors of sex, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, class, and other demographic identities contribute to barriers in acceptance and diagnosis. Almost done. Okay. And whereas neurodivergent people have identified firsthand what is important to their own accommodations and therapies, including promoting positive outcomes, preventing harm to people with disabilities, protecting autonomy, advocating for inclusion, being sensitive to past trauma, and supporting cultural competency. <coughs> Excuse me. And whereas neurodivergent people are capable members of our society and contribute in many meaningful ways, and whereas 
Neurodivergent people need to be treated with love, dignity, respect, and provided accommodations that lead to equal opportunities to thrive. And whereas neurodiversity should be a valued and celebrated aspect of our community's diversity, autistic and other neurodivergent people should be accepted and included in society, and more work is needed to achieve acceptance and appreciation of neurodiversity that exists in our communities. And whereas the city is committed to making Kirkland a safe, inclusive, and welcoming place where people of all abilities belong. Now, therefore, Mayor Penny Sweet, on behalf of the Kirkland City Council, does hereby proclaim April as Autism and Other Neurodivergence Acceptance and Appreciation Month in Kirkland and encourages all community members to promote acceptance and appreciation of autistic and other neurodivergent people as family members, friends, classmates, coworkers, and neighbors making valuable contributions to our community. Thank you. Thank you, that was very special. Okay, the next item on our agenda is a commendation, recognizing Samantha St. John for over 10 years of dedicated service to the Kirkland business community. Sam, I'd like you to come up here and I'm gonna read this commendation. I'm gonna try not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like the council to kind of come around and Kelly, if you would that, would that, with this proclamation, I am also going to be presenting to Sam the first, um, as the first recipient of the City Council Recognition of Outstanding Service. It's a coin, um, but Sam, you have earned it. So Aww, let me turn that. You. you are welcome. So this is a commendation of the City of Kirkland, commending Samantha St. John. Oh, thank you. Commending Samantha St. John for over 10 years of dedicated service to the Kirkland Business Society community. Whereas the City Council has an, has an adopted goal of thriving economy, which aims to attract, retain, and grow a diverse and stable economic base that supports city revenues, needed goods and services, and jobs for community members, and whereas striving towards such a goal requires committed community partners to advocate on behalf of the business community and work alongside the city in supporting a thriving Kirkland economy. And whereas Samantha St. John has served for over 10 years as a dedicated advocate for Kirkland's business community, first as Director of Marketing and Communications with the Greater Kirkland Chamber of Commerce for three years, then as Chief Executive Officer since January 2017, 
And whereas during her time at the chamber, Samantha has been a tireless advocate for the business community and a trusted city collaborator in identifying strategies and outcomes to serve Kirkland's business community and community at large. And whereas, although there are many highlights of Samantha's tenure at the chamber, Samantha's service to the business community is exemplified in her creativity and leadership in helping create the first small business relief fund to support small businesses and nonprofits in Kirkland in the very early days of COVID-19 pandemic. And whereas, although Samantha's time at the chamber has come to a close and she has passed the torch of leadership to others to carry forward, she will continue to serve the Kirkland community and the greater Eastside community as the new East King County Community and Government Affairs Manager with the Port of Seattle. Now, therefore, I, Mayor Penny Sweet, on behalf of the City Council, do hereby commend Samantha St. John for over 10 years dedicate years of service to the Kirkland business community and all Kirkland residents and wish Samantha all of the very best as she transitions to her new role at the Port of Seattle. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you. I just, I want to, I'll stand over here so you guys see all of you. Um, I just want to say thank you. I mean, most of you have been here in Kirkland or on the council my whole time. And thank you for all of the support. And thank you for this. That's amazing. But I love Kirkland. I'm not going far. And I get to still work with you and everybody here in Kirkland. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Okay, <laughs> this takes us to item six, communications, and the items from the audience. This is the time on our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing. We do have a public hearing this evening. It is item 7A, related to the King County Crisis Center, Care Center's levy, April 2023 special election ballot measure, uh, prop number one. On all other manners, please limit your remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue. If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up um, using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or that you express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are also not allowed in council chambers during our meetings, regardless of their content. City Clerk. Our first two speakers this evening are virtual. The first is Cindy Charlebois, followed by Michelle Billing.
Hello? Oh, welcome. Welcome. Hello. Okay. There's my three minutes, huh? Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, here I go. Um, my name is Sydney Charlie Boys. Um, you guys do receive emails from me, unfortunately, frequently. Uh, I followed the La Quinta just because I was a bit skeptical because of Leo Floro's department and how they um, supervise Imagine Housing. And, um, but I'm hopeful and um, I'm going to really watch as they uh, open up and make sure they meet their commitments. But at the same time, um, the tenants at Athene asked me to look into a crime at Francis Village because they were very scared. And so I finally got it. And the incident number is 2023-0000-7974. And I was shocked that on 3-3, such a violent crime occurred at a uh, property that is um, overseen by Leo Floor and where Imagine Housing gets contracted money to serve the tenants. I encourage everybody to watch the um, body camera. I didn't, but reading all the police descriptions, I was horrified. And what I want you to know is people who live in Imagine Housings, they're a combination of the homeless and regular tenants. I don't think the regular tenants realize that when they move in. Um, they typically are rent burdened when they move in, but they have nowhere else to go. And what occurred on 3-3 horrified me. And I, I don't know why it seems acceptable that the police didn't bring it to your attention. I mean, how are the crimes going to be brought that occur at La Quinta going to be brought to your attention? Um, imagine housing deserves the same communication um, when a crime and contact with Imagine and in response. They don't follow their, their crime-free policy at all. And I'll tell you why. When you follow up on that, it costs money in court if you're going to evict somebody. Allied spends no extra money. They're contracted. They take in the money. They do minimal maintenance. And they are not going to spend money on evictions. So, and plus, the staff there are too scared to live with somebody who's violent for 30 days every day. Um, if there was some consistency with the policies, I think we could get some of these people under control. But, but it's just a free fall all up there. Not saying that this person necessarily needs to be evicted because there's been no rules at Imagine Housing. I, I think he could be a good example of, of how we have the court set up, how he changes his life, and maybe some community service. And if the tenants see that, they might understand, I do have to shape up. It's not a free-for-all up here. I don't know why the police never send in community police just to be there. And I don't know why they never send in the mental health. The things, those children, see, this is different. At La Quinta, they're going to be single adults. Charlene? At, at, at Charlene, Francis. I'm sorry, your time is up. Children there. Okay, I'm going to end. There are children there. Thank and you, I Charlene. Believe. Thank you for your comments. Okay. Our next speaker is also virtual, um, named Michelle Billing, but we don't see her in the virtual um, audience unless she is identified as Google Pixel. Um, 
We can try. We'll try promoting and see if that's Michelle. And then that'll be followed by Cole here in the chamber. Google Pixel, are you Michelle? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, is this Michelle? Yes, okay. I'm here. Okay, please proceed. Okay, so I want to um, continue um, with what regard to uh, Cindy was saying as well. We are watching the La Quinta closely. As you know, uh, Velocity is right across the street from La Quinta, um, and we're worried about um, the issues that that would bring to the velocity area and the and the public transportation, the parking ride. But I also want to address to you that I am going through some stuff right now um, with another tenant legal legality issues, and I have filed um, official complaints with Imagine Housing um, that has been unresolved. I want you guys to know specifically. The official grievance policy is not working. It wasn't put in place. They've been passing it out every time they're, you know, going to funders and to the city, Kirkland, and whoever else they may be passing this out to. But it is not working. They are not following the guidelines. I was not, you know, they did not get back to me within five days, which it states. And at that point, I was progressing to the CEO. I, I, I filed another grievance with him almost a week ago tomorrow. I have not received any word back. And the violations, they're saying that they're taking things seriously. They're taking um, safety seriously. They're, they're doing the in-house uh, violations. This is not true. This tenant has 18 violations in seven months. And that tenant is still here. So I am I am addressing my concerns to you guys that this potentially there is no accountability. They are not following the lease. They're not following the laws. And I am extremely frustrated and I'm going to continue to um, speak up for the tenants of Imagine Housing. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Cole. Cole. Followed by Wolfgang Kaler and Michelle Alton Kaler. Well, did you want to address us this evening? <laughs> there's, there's no, la there's no last name. Okay, shall we move on to Wolfgang Kaler? Welcome, Mr. Taylor. How do we do this? It's working, yeah. Good evening, uh, council members, uh, Madam Mayor. My name is Wolfgang Kehler and I'm one of the founder and members of Quiet Clean Kirkland, a volunteer group striving to reduce air and noise pollution and improve public health by phasing out obsolete, highly polluting gas-powered leaf blowers. We are a part of a growing nationwide quiet clean movement. I got involved in this movement because I'm a photographer and have been working since 1977 in the Arctic and Antarctica 
and seeing the effects of climate change. It is shocking. Just look right now in the US what our weather is doing with uh, uh, tornadoes, floodings, wildfires. And I mean, when you look at our weather pattern over the past few years, we had the heat dome, you get the idea. We applaud and thank the council for directing staff to work on electric leaf blower, blower initiative that would phase out and the use of uh, gas-powered leaf blowers and for allocating funds for the city to begin converting to battery-powered equipment. I would also love to see an educational campaign addressing homeowners and gardening services pointing out that gas-powered equipment emits chemicals that are unhealthy for operators and the community. These emissions can cause short-term symptoms such as dizziness, headaches, and asthma attacks. Long-term impacts include heart and lung disease, cancer, and dementia. Noise is also a major health concern. Excuse me. It can cause hearing damage, learning difficulties in children, sleep problems, and more. Gas-powered leaf blowers with their low-frequency sound impact entire neighborhoods. Thank you for recognizing and addressing this important issue. And I think there are lots of different solutions we can use instead of gas-powered leaf blowers. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Um, Kaler. The next speaker is Michelle Alton Kaler, followed by Yasmin Karimli. Welcome. Good evening, council members and Madam Mayor. I'm, my name is Michelle Alton Kaler, and I'm also part of the Quiet Clean uh, Kirkland group. We all want to see a safe working environment for city staff and also for land, landscape company employees. We feel that worker health is an equity issue and is an important an equity issue as economic equity. We're concerned about the harm to workers' health that's due to the noise pollution, emissions, and particulates that come from gas-powered leaf blowers. In the staff report, public works, parks, and landscapers all acknowledge that electric equipment is easier to use, eliminates the pull start that can cause fatigue and injuries, and eliminates user exposure to harmful emissions. While noise will still be an issue with battery-powered equipment, it would be quieter than the gas-powered blowers. And of course, if people use brooms and rakes, it's even quieter yet. We want to see economic equity as well as, as, well as uh, uh, health equity. And we understand that there are economic impacts to transitioning, so we totally support the idea of economic help for small businesses to enable them to make this transition. We want to see a safe and clean city, so we support phasing out gas-powered leaf blowers as soon as possible to improve the health and safety impacts for everyone in the city and to reduce our air and noise pollution. We agree that public information campaign, uh, campaign would be very critical, and to help everyone understand why and when this transition would happen and also what resources are available to help them out. As community leaders, we'll do whatever we can to help disseminate information so that it reaches everyone in the city. 
Meanwhile, we encourage all residents to ask their landscape companies to use electric equipment or a rake or a broom. Customer requests uh, could drive the adoption of electric equipment uh, even sooner. The city has a great natural yard care program, we also want to point out, and we would like to see that increased and the promotion, the program promoted and emphasizing facts like that there are great benefits to leaving leaves in flower beds and garden beds. So we think there's a lot of education that can be done that people may not be aware of. Uh, Yasmin will now talk about solutions. Thank you very much for having us this evening and for your time. Thank you. Yasmin Karimni, followed by William Jones, also on leaf blowers. Um, Yasmin will have to be the last speaker on leaf blowers. That will make three speakers. Very well. Good evening. My name is Yasmin Karimli. You may recall that I have attended city council meetings in the past. I've been lobbying to ban gas-powered leaf blowers since 2020. As the staff report indicates, we can look to many other cities nationwide for guidance on how to transition away from gas-powered equipment smoothly and equitably. More than 100 jurisdictions across the country have banned them so far, including Seattle. And California will ban their sales statewide starting next year. We know that one of the big concerns about battery-powered equipment is whether it is cost-effective and efficient. The short answer is yes. Battery-powered equipment is improving by leaps and bounds. Newer commercial models are capable of handling heavy debris, including wet leaves. The report and draft resolution do not mention that it costs over $1,000 per year to run a smaller gas-powered commercial leaf blower and much more for a larger one. And the landscaper keeps paying this year in and year out. In comparison, the electricity that charges battery-powered blowers is cheap. So the raw economics show that it's actually the continued use of gas-powered leaf blowers that's the expensive choice. One California study added up the cost of new battery-powered leaf blowers, including all needed accessories, enough batteries to last a full day's work, and the electricity needed to charge the batteries, and compared it with the cost of gasoline, oil, and maintenance for existing gas-powered blowers. The results showed a positive return on investment in battery-powered leaf blowers in about 10 months. After that, battery-powered blowers save money every day. The sooner people can transition away from gas equipment, the sooner they can start saving money. Also, as stated in the report, electric equipment starts reliably and requires less maintenance. We would like to be stakeholders in this process, and we welcome the opportunity to meet with any council members or staff members who would like to have a conversation. I know many people were unable to attend today in support of phasing out the use of gas-powered leaf blowers in Kirkland or that only three speakers were able to speak but we could have a conversation follow-up. We urge you to shorten the timeline for this initiative. We believe that an equitable phase-out could occur in less than two and a half years. Thank you for your time and for caring about this important issue.
Thank you. <clears throat> we have no other speakers beyond Mr. Jones. Okay. Is there anyone else who would like to address the council at this time? Point of order, Madam Mayor. Do we know which side of the issue Mr. Jones is on? Mr. Jones, did you want to speak in support of the leaf blowing ban? Okay, then I'm afraid we can't allow you to speak. You would have been a Thank you. There you go. Okay. Uh, then, seeing no one who wishes to address the council at this time, I'm going to declare this um, items from the audience period over. That will take us to item number seven, public hearings. This is a public hearing to receive public comment on the King County Crisis Care Center's levy April 2023 special election ballot measure, Prop number one. I will now open the public hearing. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. To provide some context to the public hearing and background, uh, Diana Hart, our Government Relations Manager, is going to give a brief presentation on the resolution itself and the process that the Council uses to approve or uh, not act on a resolution. Welcome, Diana. Good evening, Council. Give me one moment as I get the... Great. Um, and do we need to get it shared on Zoom as well? Which one is yours? Okay. And you want a quick story there? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yep, no problem. Sorry about that. Ready to go now. Um, we have a quick presentation reviewing the process for council to discuss the proposition before we hold the public hearing and discuss the resolution. Um, as you're probably likely well aware, governmental entities are fairly limited in how they're allowed to engage on ballot measures with one key exemption um, where local government bodies like the council may vote on motions or resolutions to express support or opposition for ballot propositions, um, assuming they follow two important steps, which is noticing the meeting as we have done and providing members of the legislative body or the public to express um, approximately equal opportunity um, for um, opposing views. We have um, invited the campaign um, in support and in opposition of the ballot measure to attend the, evening, uh, the public hearing tonight um, to share those uh, opposing views. Um, I did not hear a response from the no campaign, but the yes campaign um, did respond to the email, and I don't know if they were able to attend, but both groups were invited and are aware of the opportunity. I won't dive into the details of the proposition as the King County Department of Community and Human Services staff did um, a presentation at your last meeting going into the specifics, um, but I did want to share the full title of the proposition and the language as it will appear on the ballot measure later this month. 
Um, of note, the proposition would fund behavioral health services and capital facilities, including a countywide crisis care centers network, increased residential treatment, mobile crisis care, post-discharge stabilization, and workforce support. It would authorize an additional nine-year property tax levy for collecting um, beginning in 2024 at $0.145 per 1,000 of assessed valuation with a levy amount um, in 2024 as the base for calculating annual increases for the next nine years with an exemption for seniors, veterans, and disabled persons. And your options tonight after you have your public hearing is to approve, reject, or modify the resolution as before you, ask staff to provide additional information for action at a later date, or to take no action on the resolution. And with that, uh, city attorney and I are available if you have any process questions, but otherwise we'll turn it back to you for, for, their, um, to, for the public hearing and then to discuss the resolution. Thank you, Diana. Are there any questions for Diana or, or um, Kevin? Seeing none, I will now call upon any members of the public who signed up to address the council. There's no one signed up on the electronic form. Telephone participants should dial star 9 to be recognized to speak, and Zoom participants should click in the participants box to raise their hand to be recognized to speak. We only have one attendee and no mm. hand. Okay. Um, is there anyone who would like to address the council on this issue? Okay. Public comment portion of this hearing is now closed. The council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. Can I get a motion regarding resolution 5587? <laughs> council cool. member Falcone. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> I have a feeling I know who's gonna second this. Um, Madam Mayor, I move that we adopt resolution R5587 supporting King County Proposition 1, Crisis Care Centers Levy. Second. To move by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Discussion? Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, as expected, um, uh, state law does allow city councils to uh, take positions and express support for or against ballot measures um, I have consistently opposed doing so. Um, I don't believe that the council taking a position on a ballot measure uh, influences anyone's opinion one way or the other, but I do think it is divisive and uh, impacts on the opinions of the council by those who disagree with the city's position. Um, my firm belief is that individual council members are free to individually endorse or oppose ballot measures and can do that themselves through social media, et cetera, uh, and that it should not be the city taking an official position. And so I will once again vote no. Thank you. Any further discussion? Question is on the motion to approve resolution. Any? Oops. Not fast enough. <laughs> Councilmember Falcone. Thank you. And I also saw Councilmember Curtis's hand up as well. Um, well, I just want to comment. Um, I won't repeat everything that I said at our last meeting, but Kirkland is a leader in this space of behavioral health crisis response. We know the importance, obviously, given our announcement last month on citing a crisis care center here in the city of Kirkland. 
And so I think it's only natural that we continue to lead by supporting this uh, ballot measure from King County. And I'm thankful for their partnership and thankful for the support of this work. Thank you. Councilmember Fulton. My comments are similar. We've obviously taken actions because behavioral health needs in this community are important. Um, as a regional leader, our voice is important. I su our support of this levy speaks to our values, which we've proven by the actions we've taken this year, so I will support this resolution. Um, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you. Well, thank you, Madam Mayor. While I'm disappointed that we aren't hearing from the proponents of the opponents tonight, for people in the community, there is some good information in the packet and further links to, to learn more. Uh, just, just in summary, given work that's happened in the legislature, we have a 98 number and a regional crisis line that people can call when they need help. The work that we're doing in the city of Kirkland and through the RACER program is an example of someone to respond. What this piece is with the crisis centers, somewhere to go to. And while we have the uh, commitment for the crisis center to be cited in Kirkland, this uh, levy will support uh, crisis centers throughout the county. Uh, it's an enhanced level of service, like we do with Medic One, that makes King County the best place in the country to have a heart attack. I think we're doing the same thing with crisis response here. And as my colleagues have said, we have led this effort and I think this is something we knew from the beginning we would need to scale up. We'll also, we'll be voting in support. Any further discussion? Thank you for those comments. Uh, the question is on the motion to approve resolution 5587, moved by Council Member Falcone, seconded by Council Member Curtis. Uh, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries six to one. Okay, resolution 5587 is approved. This takes us to the consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present an audit of the accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,856,109.80 and bills in the amount of $6,011,481.29. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? Moved by Council Member Pascal. Need a second? Oh, second. Seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Any discussion? Uh, Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I just wanted to highlight one of the items on the consent calendar, <clears throat> which is the award of bids for 100th Avenue uh, roadway improvements. Uh, this is a really significant milestone for the city. Uh, this is a, a major investment in that corridor. This has been something that has taken years to get to this point. So just Really looking forward to seeing this project continue to move so forward and hopefully it'll be at a little, little bit faster pace. Thank you. Thank you for that comment. Okay, question is on the motion made by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to approve the consent calendar. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. This takes us to our business agenda. The first item on our business agenda is the state legislative update. City Manager. Okay. Um, <clears throat> here to give you our state um, legislative update number six is once again our, Di our Diana Hart, our Government Affairs Manager. Good evening, Council. Again, I'm going to try and do this a little more efficiently this time. There we go. 
So back to our um, same three topics that we've been covering at our last handful of presentations. Um, starting off with our legislative calendar, we have less than 20 days to go in session, and today is the, op the fiscal committee cutoff of the opposite chamber. So we are really getting down to sort of the last couple of big pushes to get um, legislation approved. Um, and we're really seeing the pace pick up as they're moving quite quickly and having lots of long nights already getting ready for um, heading to floor action uh, tomorrow. Giving an update on the status of our priorities, um, starting with the housing-focused bills, Senator Cooter's version of our accessory dwelling unit bill um, was both had its um, hearing and exec session out of the policy and fiscal cutoff and actually got out of rules yesterday. So it is happily moving along. It has not been amended in the House yet. So if it continues in that fashion um, and gets approved by the House without any further amendments, it will go back to the Senate. Um, or it doesn't have to go back to the Senate. It can just kind of pass along without having to go back through um, conference. So we're optimistic that that one will have a nice clear path forward. And then on Representative Chop's uh, real estate excise tax increment that we've been supporting. This bill has still not moved out of committee, but is still having a lot of conversation around the policy. Um, so we're optimistic that there might be some room for further conversation here. Um, and the city is um, supporting the development of an op-ed to support um, this policy more generally that we're hoping to see out uh, later this week and we'll be sure to keep the council updated as that document gets finalized. Looking into the priority of the other items that we've been supporting, um, this slide's pretty light, which is indicative of how fast that they've been moving over the last couple of weeks. Um, there's been a lot of exec session, not a lot of public hearings as they kind of cram through a lot of things pretty quickly and they're moving quite nimbly and so our process is a little slower than theirs and we haven't had as many opportunities to sign in support for bills because of that. But a few that are worth highlighting um, is signing in support of the certified peer specialist bill and both the House and Senate capital budgets, and I'll have a little more on that on the next slide. And then we also testified in support of the missing middle bill. Getting back to those capital budget requests, we did have three asks for the KPC, the CKC, and the Denny Creek Bridge. Both the KPC and the CKC projects are fully funded in the House and Senate capital budgets, which is a huge win for the city. Unfortunately, the Denny Creek Bridge was not included in either proposal and has a very unfortunately slim chance of getting added at this point, um, but is a project that we'll be revisiting both in our approach at the state and internal efforts and seeing if there's some revisions to that project or some advocacy changes we can do to secure funding for that in the future. And that takes us to a discussion. Um, have a couple updates on some of the bills that we've been sharing in the past. Um, as always, we'll start with a flag that the bill tracker stated position in the packet is a recommended position by the work group and considered acknowledged by council um, after this discussion, unless you want to pull any further out for conversation. Uh, starting with the Blake fix, 5536 is still moving and, and continuing to see big changes. Um, the bill was further amended this afternoon, and so we'll see some more analysis by AWC and our other partners on what that bill, as it currently stands, means for us. But up until those big amendments, there was some changes to um, misdemeanor status and what kind of classifications were in that, changes to requirements for courts, um, and increasing standard of compliance. 
with uh, substance use disorder treatments as a condition of probation from substantial compliance to meaningful engagement. So encouraging more participation in the project or in the process than just going through the motions. On missing middle, uh, Bateman's 1110 saw another big round of changes as it moved out of ways and means last night um, with different thresholds and requirements adjusting with each step. One of the larger changes was the requirement that any city that's contiguous with a very large city um, in the past virgins, any city contiguous was held at the highest standard. Now they're held at the medium standard, which is still often higher than what they're currently doing, but it is, so it's in the 25 to 75,000 population instead of the 75,000 population and up. We expect continued changes on this bill and, and this will be one that will be kind of every little lever will get played with until the final, uh, final passage. Um, and then the other major housing bill that is still moving is Leas's Transit-Oriented Development Bill 5466. Um, this one went through the Capital Budget Committee, which was a really interesting step that it took along the way. Um, and this bill was reduced pretty substantially from previous versions. Um, so they restricted both the areas that were impacted and the number of areas that were impacted totally. So this is one that, again, if it gets to passage, we'll continue to see all those levers played with and we'll keep tracking. And then we have um, vehicular pursuits. Um, this one saw, um, has been seeing some very interesting processes and to keep with that, it skipped the public hearing in committee and went straight to exec session, though it has not had a public hearing yet um, this session, which is a very interesting process for a bill. Um, it came out with some very minor amendments um, in which increased training requirements to meet the new requirements for pursuits in the bill and adjusting the threshold for our state's smallest departments to involve um, supervisors the way that larger departments are required. There's been a lot of engagement on this bill by sheriffs and the cities, and so the path forward is still a little murky, um, but there's a lot of interest and momentum to do something in this sphere. It just, we're not quite sure if there's gonna be a little more, a little less, or if it's something that um, we'll need to wait for another session to get across the finish line. But that is, with all the other bills, is we'll continue tracking and engaging where it would be beneficial for the city. And that's what I have for you tonight. Happy to answer any questions and turn things back to you. Thank you. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Just a couple things. Diana, you're doing an awesome job. Truly. This has gone so smoothly. Um, I just want to follow up on the vehicular pursuits on 5352 after our last council discussion. Um, legislative work group sent an email to our delegation explaining our support and why, and made Chief Harris available to our legislators if they had any questions. Um, one legislator did, legislator did reach out. Um, HB 1110, I got to speak to that bill. I followed Bothell Councilmember Mason Thompson, who cited Moses, so he's a hard act to follow. I've, we've got we've to punch up our testimony somehow. <clears throat> Um, and I just wanted to follow up on the REIT op-ed. Um, it's for the Seattle Times. We're doing it in collaboration with some other cities. And once it's finalized, it will go to council and it will go to our delegation. So thank you. Okay. And I just want to ask a question. And this is actually I'm going to ask Toby. Do you know of a bill that has gotten out of the legislature without a public hearing?
<clears throat> the rules can be suspended, and that is legal. Um, and I have seen bills that, um, in fact, on many instances where there was a public hearing held on a title-only bill and nobody had any idea what the content was, and the actual language of the bill was only amended in later on the floor. And so you could say there was a public hearing on, on a title-only bill, but the fact is nobody knew what it was really going to say until much later in the process. And so, yeah, you can get bills out without having a public hearing. Okay, this has just been surprising to me. Yeah. Okay, with that, thank you very much, Diana. It looks like you're, you're meeting all our needs. Takes us to the next item, Northeast 85th Street Station Area Plan <clears throat> Update. Naming. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So we have a joint presentation. Uh, we're giving an update on the Northeast 85th Street Area Plan. We have our Planning and Building Director, Adam Weinstein, and our Finance Administration Director, Michael Olson, We'll be talking briefly about the tax increment financing element. Adam will kick it off. All right. Uh, good evening, uh, Mayor Sweet, Deputy Mayor Arnold, and Council members. Um, we have just six slides tonight, actually. This is probably the shortest station area plan presentation um, you've gotten over the last couple of years. Um, as the city manager mentioned, we're here to talk about the station area plan name, and then Michael Olson is here to give a, uh, a quick update on tax increment financing to help build infrastructure in the station area. Um, and just to, you know, relieve a little bit of pressure on the name, um, we recognize that naming is a really hard decision. Um, you've all thought about it, been really thoughtful about the name. Um, probably some of you don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, as Shakespeare wrote in Romeo and Juliet, um, names are an important <laughs> thing, but, you know, the essence of the thing that's named is more important. Um, if he were a planner, he would say something like, what's in a name? You know, that which we call a stationary plan by any other name would smell as sweet. Um, so just to remind you of the results that from the, the survey um, that we uh, published last spring, um, this is a, a summary of that. Um, you can see that these were names recommended by community members. Um, Rose Hill Station got a lot of votes. Um, Kirkland Gateway, um, Forbes Lake District Uptown got, got votes as well. Um, I, the one thing I'll mention in looking at the slide is that we have outreach to tribal, our tribal representatives for identification of a potential native name. Um, we have not gotten an, an identification of a tribal name yet, but we're still working with them on that. So that is something that is potentially still to come. Um, and then, um, again, just thinking about your, your decisions or direction tonight, um, here are a couple of options that we identified. Um, you don't have to pick a name tonight. Again, no pressure if you're, you're not ready to do that. Um, you could pick a name tonight. That would be great um, if you were ready for it. Uh, a third option is you could pick two names, that, you know, the, the names that you think are most appropriate, for instance, a Rose Hill Station and a Cedar District, um, and then we could go out and get additional community feedback and um, ultimately incorporate the desired uh, name into all of our station area plan documents. Um, and then with that, I'll turn it over to Michael Olson, and he can talk about the, uh, the, the TIP district. Good evening. Just a brief review of tax increment financing, which is a option, optional revenue provided for tax the station area. It was last discussed before Council at the August 3rd, 2022 study session. And the next steps in the process of tax increment financing is creating a tax increment area. 
and TIAs can only be created on June 1st. And before you have a TIA, you need to have two public briefings, and those are scheduled for April 20th and April 26th. Those will be virtual meetings. Anybody who has questions can send them to my email address, and they can, uh, they can talk, uh, present at the uh, briefing. And then the council, if desiring to move forward, can approve an ordinance for creating the tax increment area. It needs to be done by May 16th because it has to be in place by June 1st. Otherwise, it would be waiting till 2024. Any questions? I see none. That's it. Adam, you want to put that last slide with the options on yeah, the sure. back up? There you go. Okay, discussion. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. This is like naming your firstborn. <laughs> it's hard and it's serious and it's for life. Um, I'm, I'm going for option three. I, I like the Rose Hill District because it speaks to the history of, um, of where the station is located. Adam was kind enough to give me some information about why it was uh, named Rose Hill. I thought it was because of some nurseries, wholesale nurseries that used to be up there. But I can't remember his name, but one of the earlier. Yeah, it was um, uh, Peter Kirk's chief engineer, John Kellett, I think his name was. He was from um, a city in England called Workington, and it had a Rose Hill neighborhood. Um, and so he actually named um, the Rose Hill neighborhood Rose Hill after a place in England in like 1888 or something. Yeah. So, so that's interesting to me. I, I have to be honest, I prefer the Cedar District because it's new. Um, it acknowledges our indigenous history. It acknowledges that this used to be forested land um, um, covered with old growth. So my recommendation is because the community spoke so highly of Rose Hill that we take the two names out to the community and get further feedback. Uh, my one caveat is whatever we pick, we need to mo our, uh, modify, set standards that we plant either roses or cedar trees, uh, evergreens in this area, because I don't want to call it cedar district and not have any cedars up there. So thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. That's a good point, Councilmember Curtis. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, you know, in thinking about naming, I, you know, was asking our city manager earlier today, can you just kind of remind me the implications of this naming choice? Like, what's actually going to happen once we pick a name? Is it just going to be, you know, in our city plans and in our briefings and no one's going to care? Like, the few people, thank you for being here, who are here <laughs> and who watch online are going to know that it's the name, but that's about it, right? Or is there more than that? Are we going to have you know, some signage when you enter the district? Is it gonna, you know, um, perhaps influence the name of the station, of the BRT station? And so it's helpful to know that it could, my understanding is it could likely impact the name of the BRT station potentially. And it could be something like we talk about, we have our neighborhoods that we talk about, you know, I'm gonna go hang out in Fin Hill tonight, it's a cool place to be, that's where my family lives. Um, or, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna hang out, we have downtown, or we're gonna hang out at Kirkland Urban, or at Totem Lake, or at Juanita Village. Like we have kind of these places, these names for places, whether they be neighborhoods or kind of like business uh, hubs in our community, and I can kind of see it like that, right? Like we're gonna go hang out in the Cedar District tonight, right? Because there's some cool stuff happening there. So. 
because of that, because, you know, uh, I was thinking, you know, is it better to have, you know, a beautiful name or is it better to have an informational name? Like when you're riding the bus, what does Cedar District mean to you, especially if you're not like frequently in Kirkland, right? You may not know that that's the name of it. It might be more informational to have like street names or the Kirkland stop or something like that. However, given that I think it's even more than that, I think that um, having a beautiful name and a placemaking is, you know, a name as part of placemaking, I think is really important. And what we associate with it, again, tying in with Councilmember Curtis's comments on having beautiful cedar trees there. I prefer cedar district, um, so I prefer option two. Um, and the reason is, we go to our community a lot to ask them about stuff. And we need to be careful how frequently and about what we go to our community to ask them about stuff. Because there is survey fatigue and it deteriorates the quality of the data that we collect in other data collection efforts every single time we ask questions of the public. <clears throat> I worry about that. I also worry about there could be someone that feels very strongly that fills up, you know, especially since it would just be like one or two questions, that will just answer the question a hundred times and they're gonna get their way, right? And so I don't love the idea of a community survey. Um, if there's another venue that we could ask people, you know, and get input perhaps, but I would recommend against us doing a community survey um, or, you know, a public engagement just around naming this, um, especially since we've already asked and it sounds like some of us are favoring not what was recommended from the community, the people who took the survey, which again, I'm not sure represents the community. Um, so that said, I think Cedar District is so lovely for all the reasons that Councilmember Curtis so clearly articulated, and I'm ready to move on and not call it the 85th stationary plan anymore. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Deputy, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I agree with uh, where Councilmember Curtis is talking about this to take a look at Cedar District and Rose Hill District and goes those out to the community. I agree with one point that Councilmember Falcone had mentioned. I do think we need to separate out what we're thinking about the district from the station name itself. The station name is going to be the place that you get off for the Greater Kirkland downtown, um, and we'll want to think really carefully about how we go do that. But when we talk about what we're doing for this district that spans several neighborhoods, I think it should have a separate name. And I think uh, Rose Hill District or Cedar District are good candidates we should get some more feedback on, especially since Cedar District was not something that anybody's heard before, except for the hearty few that tune into our meetings regularly. Thank you, Councilmember Pascal. So this is a subject that um, kind of like art. I wish that someone else could make the decision on. <laughs> that, I know that might sound bad to say, but uh, it feels like it's becoming a political decision, and and that makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm fine with 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 option th three. Um, because I think uh, I mean, I'm somewhat indifferent to Rose Hill or Cedar. Um, but if we do that and we get back overwhelming feedback that Rose Hill is the answer, I think we need to be prepared to do that. Um, if, if we're doing that just to appease, you know, and still go with Cedar, even though Rose Hill comes back positive, then I, I think that would be a big mistake to go through with a survey another survey then so i just i just want to put that out there if we do go that way 
that's just hold true to what the survey says. Thank, uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. This was a really good discussion. Um, so I was going to try to help a little bit um, Councilmember Falcone a little bit and help Councilmember Curtis a little bit. And I was hoping, Adam, you could go back to the previous slide. So um, thank you for the comments, uh, Councilmember Falcone, about surveys. I hadn't really thought hard about that, but with a really short survey, the way it could skew. Um, I, th I suppose the other thing about surveys is you can't really measure the intensity of, so of, of folks' preference, and so it's always a little bit more, it's kind of like each, even if each person completing the survey can only respond to it once, somebody has really strong feelings, and someone has, you know, um, just a slight preference, and you can't really, it's hard to uh, sort of measure that accurately, it can be done, but... So um, on the one hand, I really appreciate what you said about maybe a survey is not the way to do this. Um, and I would, my offer of help to you is that uh, you said that, um, you know, maybe there's some consensus on the council to choose a name that's not um, chosen the survey. But I would actually suggest a slightly different way of looking at it which is if we look at the survey, yes, Rose Hill Station got 114 responses, but other got 63, and a name informed by Native cultural heritage got 31. If you combine those two together, you get 94. You're now talking about something that's much closer to Rose Hill Station. And one thing we know about the Cedar District idea is it's born out of uh, respect for uh, the heritage, uh, uh, the history of indigenous people and the heritage associated with the Western Red Cedar. Um, um, and so in some ways, there's a way to look at Cedar District as being well within uh, the results of the survey that was done. So even if we were to choose today Cedar, if there were consensus for that, I don't think I would necessarily say that uh, the council went wildly um, you know, against the, the preference of, of, of the folks who were surveyed. Um, and then um, how was I going to help Councilmember Curtis? I was going to help Councilmember Curtis by saying that I guess it's sort of, it's, it's, it's very closely related to the same point. Um, putting those two names uh, in, out to the public for consideration uh, makes a ton of sense, again, for me, for the exact same reason. Really, a native, a, 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 another name that's informed by Native cultural heritage is really the number two uh, result in this survey. So that's what I'll say. I, I personally, I like, the Cedar uh, District name, but I am willing to, despite the limitations of a public survey in this instance, as highlighted by Councilmember Falco, and I'm I'm willing to do option three. Thank you. How about the Rose Hill Cedar Station? <laughs> um, yes, go ahead, Councilmember. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm wondering. We're going to be talking later tonight about a different survey that we're conducting, and I wonder if we could add a question onto that related to this. I think that would address my concerns, <clears throat> assuming that we're going to be doing a random sample for the other survey, so address my concerns about the same person replying multiple times and about a separate data collection effort. So we could. I guess my advice would actually be not to do that, just given the importance of that survey and the various pieces of information you want and the fact that I think you're going to suggest we had several other questions as well on Park Board I mean, feedback. Have I, an issue. I think, and there's no time limit on this, I think we could brainstorm and staff an alternate way to meet the need that isn't putting on that survey, but obviously we could do that if the council wants us to. 
And there are other alternatives to data collection efforts right. that could address the concerns that I have. They might take a little bit more energy and resources to do, but I think it's. Well, I think we're hearing very clearly the concern of don't, you don't want someone to stack it or have a small sample result in a, you know, outsized impact. So I think we could certainly do that for sure, find ways to do that. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Um, well, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, Adam, I'm sorry if I missed this, but have we completely bailed on finding an actual Native American word that would work? I uh, have not bailed, um, Councilmember Nixon. We have reached out to our tribal representative and have had to reschedule the meeting, I think, a bunch of times. So I think um, Mr. Lopez said that there's a meeting scheduled for next week. Is that right? Yeah, we've rescheduled a meeting with some tribal leaders. It was, I think, canceled twice. So hopefully we'll get that done and we'll have that feedback shortly. Yeah, I, I would still like to see if there's a, a pronounceable name that we could use. Some of those names are very hard for English speakers to pronounce, but if we could find one, I would still be really inclined to do that. So I, I wouldn't want to pick one tonight and short circuit this meeting. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the other thing I would say is um, I was deeply involved in the process of selecting the name of the Evergreen Hill Neighborhood Association. Um, and, you know, we inherited the name Kingsgate Neighborhood from King County. And when we decided to create the new neighborhood association after annexation, um, we got a lot of feedback from people who lived in subdivisions who were not Kingsgate 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, that they didn't want the neighborhood to be named Kingsgate because there would be confusion between the names of the neighborhood association and the name of the uh, subdivisions. And for that reason, my inclination here would be to pick something other than Rose Hill Station to avoid collision with the names of the neighborhoods and to make sure that we're talking about which one we're talking about when we talk about it. So those are my thoughts. Okay, I think we've got enough votes though, to go with the third option. Okay, unless anybody wants to change. Or maybe the fourth option, which is take the two that are there and add a Native American name if we can find one quickly enough. If I may. You may. It's interesting going first and then listening to everybody's conversation. I would like to advocate for taking the Cedar District to our tribal leaders and getting their opinion on that and if they have another suggestion. They've been very gracious. I'm sure we could work with them on that. They've been great. Deputy Marano? And one clarification given all this discussion. When we're talking about Rose Hill as a name that we're getting some feedback on. I was intentionally saying Rose Hill District and not Rose Hill Station because I'm not sure if we want the station itself to be what's listed on the Sound Transit uh, bus line maps, oh. et cetera. So um, what's the feedback of the council on saying, can we do Cedar District and Rose Hill District versus Rose Hill Station and Cedar District, which is mentioned on the slide here? I think there's general agreement with that. It's not just the station. We're talking about the entire district. Okay. Great. So just to recap, I think our direction is go back out with two names and possibly three. So the Rose Hill Cedar District, Rose Hill District, and then have the conversation with our um, 
tribal leaders about Cedar District and an alternative. And if they do have an alternative, we'd include that in the outreach. Is that a good summary? Thank you, Adam. Right, thank you. Okay, with that takes us to our next agenda item, electric leaf blower mm -hmm. initiative. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm very excited to have uh, all the folks who've been working on this uh, come talk to you during this presentation. It's gonna be led by uh, Diana Hart, Government Affairs Manager, and she's gonna introduce the other folks as well, who you know, and uh, we're gonna talk to you about this as a draft concept for tonight to bring back to you on April 18th for a potential final action. So, Diana. Good evening, Council. Um, tonight, I am joined by Carly Jorger and Noel Johnson, the City Manager's Office uh, Management Analyst and Program Assistant, to discuss the opportunity to transition the city to electric leaf blowers. Um, our presentation tonight includes four primary sections to set up a discussion of the draft resolution in your packet. We will incorporate the feedback you share tonight into the resolution for your further consideration at a future meeting. To start, I'll briefly review the council's past actions that guided staff to date. Um, in 2020, council adopted the sustainability master plan with a goal of exploring the reduction or elimination of gas-powered landscaping equipment in city operations. The adopted 2023 to 2025 biennial budget included $500,000 in ARPA funding to support a citywide transition to electric leaf blowers. And earlier this year, council adopted the latest work program with an item to fund SMP actions to further equity, energy efficiency, public health, and the clean energy economy that promotes a sustainable and resilient environment. To dive a little further into the background work, that staff has undertaken so far, I'll turn things over to the CMO program assistant, Noel Johnson. Thanks, Diana. Good evening, Council. As Diana mentioned, my name is Noel Johnson. I will be presenting four slides, which briefly discuss the background information that informed the recommendation and draft resolution that we have brought to Council today. I'd first like to provide you with more information about the types of gas-powered leaf blowers that Kirkland Parks and Community Services and Public Works crews currently use. Crews use multiple models of leaf blowers, including, and these are all on your screen, backpack leaf blowers, which are on the upper right hand, uh, handheld leaf blowers, which are on the bottom right hand, large leaf blowers and vacuums, which are on the left-hand side of your screen, and electric leaf blowers, which are not uh, on your screen. We, focus, we have focused the scope of the initiative to get to gas-powered backpack and handheld leaf blowers, which, as I mentioned, are on the right hand of your screen. I'd now like to turn your attention to recent leaf blower legislation in the United States. There are many cities across the United States that have already committed to the transition from gas-powered to electric leaf blowers, and we have learned from their approaches. There are a few notable examples in Washington State that I would like to highlight today. In fall 2022, the Seattle City Council adopted a resolution that signaled their intent to phase out gas-powered leaf blowers in city departments by 2025 and for the general public by 2027. Kirkland staff continue to monitor updates from Seattle to learn about their implementation plan. In the 2022 Washington State Legislative Session, two bills were introduced to incentivize the transition to electric equipment. While neither bill was passed, they both received bipartisan, bipartisan support. 
And most recently, there was also a bill introduced in the 2023 Washington State Legislative Session that would support the collection and end-of-life management for lithium batteries, which are used in electric leaf blowers. If passed, the battery producers uh, if passed, battery producers will be required to plan and provide these services starting 2027. Now, let's talk a little bit more about stakeholder engagement that has happened thus far. To inform our recommendation to Council, staff engage with stakeholders that would be impacted by a local transition. I'd like to highlight and thank the groups that helped shape the draft resolution. Staff engaged with Kirkland Public Works and Parks and Community Services staff early on to receive feedback on how a potential transition would impact them. Public Works and Parks and Community Services staff shared valuable insights into the cost and power levels of electric equipment and the potential process changes that would coincide with the transition. A big thank you to the parks crew members that gave us a demonstration of the gas-powered and electric equipment that they currently use. The city manager's office also hosted a focus group for Kirkland landscaping businesses to receive feedback on the potential transition. This focus group was interesting as we learned that some businesses already have customers asking for electric only equipment crews and that different equipment power levels are needed for commercial sites compared to residential sites. Thank you again to our local Kirkland landscaping businesses for your participation. Finally, City Manager's Office staff connected with public works and parks departments outside of Kirkland that are exploring or have already made the transition to electric leaf blowers. In these conversations, we learned that their crews echoed similar concerns and opportunities to our own, and that many cities use a phased approach for their transition to electric equipment. After completing stakeholder engagement and incorporating the lessons learned from this engagement, staff recommend this transition because it aligns with the council stated policy position of considering strategies to reduce emissions and to protect the local environment. It also aligns with other electrification goals outlined in the sustainability master plan, including the goal to reduce emissions from vehicles and reduce fossil fuel emissions from all Kirkland buildings. Staff also considered a few additional points, which I will discuss now. This transition will have positive health impacts for Kirkland community members, especially for operators of gas-powered landscaping equipment. We also recognize that the health impacts of gas emissions are a disproportionate burden to minoritized and vulnerable populations. Implementing this transition will have a notable positive health impact for this group. A final point of consideration is the environmental impacts of this transition. Generally, electrification and the move away from the internal combustion engine is considered to be a positive, positive climate approach. I now invite Carly Jorger to discuss the resolution in further detail. Thank you. Thanks, Noel. Good evening, City Council. I've got three slides I'll walk through that correspond to each of the three sections in uh, your resolution 5585 um, that we've brought before you for your feedback this evening. So the first section uh, sets forth four goals that staff recommend setting for the electric leaf blower initiative. The first goal is to sunset the use of gas-powered backpack and handheld leaf blowers by the end of 2025 um, as a, a target date uh, start for conversation. 
The second goal is to reduce the negative health impacts that we know these, this equipment has on its operators. The third goal is to ensure a thoughtful and pragmatic transition for uh, our crews and uh, landscaping businesses and residents. So to go about this in a way that maximizes the benefit and reduces any burdens. And then finally, the last goal we're proposing is that we be proactive and responsive to any potential state legislation uh, that would uh, speed up the uh, phase out of gas powered equipment. So to accomplish these goals in this initiative will not come without challenges. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, your second section in the resolution summarizes the key challenges that were identified through our stakeholder engagement process and then tasks staff with coming up with strategies that will meet these challenges. So again, thanks to all of the folks who thoughtfully engaged with this initiative and helped us identify these challenges. First and foremost, there are limits to the electric equipment that's commercial grade that is at, on the market currently. They are typically heavier um, than the gas powered equipment. Uh, they're not quite as powerful and uh, there's some questions on the reliability of batteries, particularly during uh, the colder months. Uh, we also have to recognize that the, the what's on the market right now contributes to noise pollution um, at a similar level as the current gas powered equipment. Because of these limitations, there may be some changes in service levels for uh, our own crews as well as landscaping businesses. Uh, they also elevated some questions around the ethical disposal of gas-powered equipment as well as the um, battery uh, production, recycling, and disposal process. Uh, we also talked about enforcement. How can we enforce something like this equitably and effectively? And then lastly, there is a, a significant startup cost to transitioning equipment and purchasing particularly enough batteries to last for a full day's worth of work. So how can we structure a financial incentive that, that truly supports this transition? With that, I'll turn your attention to the last section in your resolution, which uh, lays out a three-phased approach that staff is recommending uh, for this initiative. And we're recommending a phased approach where one phase informs the next um, and so on and so forth. So for example, the first phase this year would focus on uh, city staff piloting equipment and beginning a thoughtful transition plan. Through continued um, stakeholder engagement and sharing the lessons learned from a city pilot, uh, we would craft and administer a financial incentive program beginning next year. And then the last phase is a culmination of the first two and would result in staff preparing and bringing a draft ordinance to the city council for your consideration that would set a deadline for when you would like uh, a full phase out of equipment in our community. As a starting point, we set the end of 2025. And with that, I will turn it over to Diana Hart to wrap up our presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Carly. Um, going back to our last discussion and questions that are um, also at the end of your memo, um, we noted three primary counts, uh, questions for council discussion tonight. 
The first is focused on whether this three-phased approach aligns with your expectations for the initiative. The second is around whether there is support for the methods in the resolution, particularly looking at the financial incentives and the ongoing stakeholder engagement. And then the final is confirming the scope of the project. Is there interest in expanding or narrowing the scope of the initiative or in identifying opportunities for future initiatives to go beyond gas-powered leaf blowers? So this concludes our presentation. We're available to answer your questions and turn things back to you for discussion. Thank you. Okay, discussion. Councilmember Curtis. This is the dream team here. Yep. <laughs> the city manager. It is indeed. <clears throat> I met with city managers this morning and I was a little cranky. And uh, this is just an example of Kirkland does things well and thoughtful and does it right. Um, I have a landscaped license. I received the email inviting me to the focus groups. Well done, multiple languages, really well done. I didn't come because I wanted it not to influence the conversation. Um, and I've been reluctant to embrace this because, because I'm a landscaper, I understand the complications around the equipment and the equity issues. Um, Landscape companies work in multiple jurisdictions. And you've brought me along. You've done a really good job of researching the questions, recognizing, anticipating. I'm all in, which is you, ha you have no appreciation. Councilor Black does and city manager does that. Um, I think that we can do this well, and I think that we can um, uh, do it in a way that's not harmful to uh, the people that make their living. And honestly, these landscape companies, unless you're a large company, you're barely making by. No one gets rich mowing lawns. So, um, so well done, really well done. And I'm looking forward to how we move forward on this. And I'm looking forward to the, more of the stakeholder process. One of the suggestions I have is um, we have an environmental horticulture program at Lake Washington Technical College. It's a two-year program. They are training future landscape designers and landscape maintenance. It would be interesting to partner with them and bring them along and um, get some feedback and, and create that relationship. Also, when you were speaking, <clears throat> excuse me, this may be something that we want to put on our legislative agenda next year and look for a sponsor for a bill that's statewide because I do think, which will be a heavy lift, King Countywide, um, because I do think this is the future. I have been accosting landscape companies for the last couple of weeks. Um, believe me, when I pull over in my car and jump out to talk to a landscaping company, they're like, oh my God, what does she want? But it's been really good conversations. And one of the gentlemen I spoke to yesterday, all of his equipment is battery powered except for his leaf blower. And as you guys know, um, it's, it's power, it's ease of use, it's having a throttle so you control that you're not blasting mulch out of landscape beds when you're using it. Um, but it, he was very receptive. He's like, yeah, I wanna get there as soon as the equipment is there. So, so, um, so, Yes, I'm in, let me answer the questions. Um, I do think that we did hear testimony today that we could do it faster. I think we need to do it in the, in the time frame that you have so that we do it right. 
Um, I do think that um, financial incentives are super important. Uh, stakeholder engagement, one of the crews said, how are you gonna catch me? I'm gonna be gone by the time somebody uh, you know, makes a phone call. So enforcement is gonna be um, something to think about. Um, oh, and residents, I think it's really, uh, you know, as we heard this morning, education to residents, um, because I don't want this to just happen on the back of the professionals. I think that the residents um, also need to help us do that. And I think it's a really, uh, it's an important conversation with our residents. Are you willing to pay more? Are you willing to lower your aesthetic standards at some point? Because, um, you know, as you've heard, when the leaves are cold, wet, and heavy, they're hard to move. And so they may not it may not be as clean as you're used to. So again, I just think that you've, you've done this really well and I'm, I'm, I'm in, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, thank you again to each of you. I mean, yes, this was an amazing example of teamwork too. So that was an amazing presentation, amazing memo. Thank you so much. Um, and I really appreciate the stakeholders too. Thank you for the stakeholders um, and community members. Councilmember Pascal and I recently met with some of the community members. We heard from some of them tonight and really, really appreciate their input and their, their thoughtful advocacy on this. Um, I agree one of the pieces that was raised tonight and that Councilmember Curtis just um, mentioned as well. It's really important that we en um, engage the general population as well. And, um, and residents and households in education. I think education is gonna be a really big piece of that, but also do we, you know, consideration of whether we think it would be worth it to have an incentive program for residents as well, particularly residents who may not, also may not have the resources to be able to purchase new equipment within the next couple of years for their households. So let's consider that. Um, also wondering, have we thought about um, organizations that have in-house landscapers? I think, for example, of like the Lake Washington School District, right, which has a lot of property and uses a lot of equipment here in the city of Kirkland. So I think it's important to include them in the group of stakeholders as well and bring them along <clears throat> and have conversations with those. So let's do that. Um, I really appreciate the flexibility we have here in that we're um, considering a resolution at this point in time and not the ordinance because that really gives us the time and flexibility to track the progress in the technology, right? To make sure that that date that we're thinking of now by the end of 2025 will actually be feasible. And the hope is that we will have more powerful equipment, right, that comes out over the next couple of years. And as Councilmember Curtis mentioned, I personally think a big piece of that is gonna be the bigger jurisdictions that we can get on board to have these types of bans, the more that will drive the need for companies to put resources into the development of this type of technology and into proving this technology. So if we can, you know, perhaps by example by doing this work, but also through advocacy at the state and federal levels to really push for this and to show that, hey, we can do it. We're considering in our, you know, our little town of Kirkland, Washington, um, that that should be something that um, higher level uh, government authorities should also be considering because again, I think that'll really help push the technology and force companies to really invest in that type of innovation. Um, what else do I have? Oh, I also appreciate um, the, the last challenge that was mentioned about replacing all gas powered units at one time is inconsistent with current staggered procurement policies. So as we're having these conversations, as we're looking ahead to the ordinance that we um, may adopt or consider adopting in a couple of years, 
let's think about how we can be thoughtful about uh, maybe a staggered approach. Maybe that could look like, I don't know, but we'd, there'd be information we need to gather, right? Like what does that staggering typically look like for these businesses? Would we perhaps just not saying this is just a total example, but maybe we would require half of their equipment of each organization to be electric by the end of 2025 and the other half by the end of 2026 or something of that nature. Because I think that's really important, um, not only because of the financial investment of these businesses, not just the initial one, but when replacement comes time, right, that we need to be thoughtful of that. As Councilmember Curtis said, they're really counting every penny, a lot of these businesses. So that's really important but also the technology could evolve between 2025, 2026, 2027, that they could get you know, fairly good equipment in 2025 and then even better equipment when it's time to purchase that next round of equipment. So let's, I just wanna mention that now for us to think through what information we need to gather with these stakeholders in order to really improve that ordinance um, language in a couple of years. And then, um, La I think this is last. I have to review my notes really quickly. I have very messy handwriting in my notes tonight, I have to admit. Um, but I'd love to see us explore some sort of regional effort, a regional consortium, you know, partnering with neighboring cities, similar to um, the heat pump campaign that we have. I'd like to see an exploration of that added to the resolution that we consider at our next meeting. I know we don't have the information yet to be able to proceed with that, but in order to at least add it in there, um, for us to explore that. And I realize that there are gonna be, you know, that could slow us down a little bit if other jurisdictions are taking their time, but we could certainly explore relationships where there's flexibility. We're all kind of doing it together, the same general phases, but maybe, you know, some of us are a little bit further ahead or behind others. Um, but I would love to see us do that because I think that would help address some of the concerns around that these businesses don't just operate in the city of Kirkland. And I think that will help us in our advocacy efforts at the state and federal levels if we can show that we've banded together as a region to do this work. And let me just quickly skim my notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. I think that's everything. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Councilmember Falcone, for your for your comments. I support um, the. Uh, support your feedback, and uh, that's basically where I am. I appreciate the timeline that you have come up with with the milestones and the resolution that sets the target date, but w appreciate the flexibility that you're suggesting based on technology and um, being uh, engaged on what's happening on the region, and we can make a decision if we're going first or we're going to um, coordinate, but I want to definitely be informed by that. Uh, support what we've talked about, about financial incentives, ongoing stakeholder engagement, and then also um, individual property owners uh, outreaching to them in addition to uh, landscaping companies. To the third question, I don't support expanding the scope. I think we've got the right target of this on this. Uh, a couple of comments on the resolution itself. Uh, one of the initial impetus for this type of program was noise. We heard it during customer or customer during um, public comment tonight uh, that noise is a big concern and the whereas clauses need to reflect that from the beginning of the pandemic, we've heard uh, complaints about gas-powered leaf blower noise as a consideration. The memo talks about the, that, that may, um, has the caveats that electrics, 
electric leaf blowers at this point may not improve that, but have the potential to in the future. Uh, I think that should be a consideration of um, uh, of timing, and so would want to have some language that at least acknowledges that this may not solve it, but it, it, it's something that we'll be considering as we move forward over the next two years. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so a few thoughts. Uh, first, let me start by saying that our household has already switched to all electric uh, lawn equipment. Uh, we just went cold turkey and replaced everything all at once. One big Amazon order, I'm sorry to say. But um, why? It wasn't for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about here. The fact is, is that um, uh, I was very concerned about continuing to have gasoline stored in our garage. Um, at the same time, one of our neighbors, a couple blocks away, uh, had a lithium battery pack catch fire in their garage and nearly burned down their entire house. They're still not back in the house months months later. And uh, and so that caused us to run power out to our outdoor shed so that we can keep all the battery packs in the shed. So I'm kind of invested in this. Um, I'm not just virtue, virtue signaling. Um, uh, but, I, but I support the use of the battery-powered lawn equipment. Um, and it works for us at the scale that we need. Um, my primary interest in this topic has always been on the need for the city to uh, actually enforce the noise ordinance. That's what we get most complaints about. Um, not only for lawn equipment, but for so many other things. We still have a, a noise problem in Kirkland. Um, I do not see the proposal before us solving that noise issue. Um, uh, we would still have a noise enforcement problem. And the reason is, is that you know, my personal experience with even our own electric leaf blower and others that I've tried in the past is that they, they have a really bad high-pitched squeal that I find more annoying than the gas-powered leaf blowers myself. Maybe it's just because of how my hearing is. I don't know. Um, uh, I, I don't see forcing people to switch to uh, electric leaf blowers as a way to solve the noise problem by itself. I mean, there, there would need to be a significant improvement in the technology, and maybe we're looking forward to that, to where the same volume of air can be moved more quietly, but I haven't seen that yet. Um, a lot of the support for this proposal is based on climate change concerns, and you all know that I'm skeptical that anything mankind can do will actually have any impact on the climate. Um, so that's, that's not a motivation for me. Um, I did pay a lot of attention to the staff report with 13 different very legitimate concerns about electric leaf blowers being raised by commercial landscapers. Um, and as a result, like I do often, I fall back on fundamental principles, individual liberty, um, limited government regulation, uh, free enterprise. Um, you know, I, I, the council is a strong supporter of freedom of choice, and so I would let people choose for themselves the type of lawn equipment they want to use. Um, I would let people influence their landscapers 
to use the type of equipment that they want by simply saying, if you don't change, we're going to go to somebody else. Um, but I would, not, I would not force our elite wisdom uh, on our residents and businesses. Um, we shouldn't uh, infringe on their liberty ex except to stop them from infringing on the liberty of others. Um, for me, uh, that means that we need to effectively enforce the noise ordinance because noise at a level that prevents people from peacefully enjoying their property is an infringement on their rights. And that's where I would focus. Um, and the fact is, is that, that electric leaf blowers don't solve that problem. Um, so I don't see the, a solution here, but, but I will say, as we've done ourselves, I, I, I am supportive of transitioning the city to using elect, electric landscaping equipment. But we need to do it with our eyes wide open, as has been mentioned in the staff report. Um, I'm still concerned that with the tech, state of the technology today, that uh, it will take more people more hours to do the same work that gets done today. And what's the, going to be the budget impact of that? And I want to, I want to understand that. Um, so I would, I would go that far, that part of the plan to do the transition of city equipment. Uh, and then write that up and let that be a case study so that other people can use our learnings in making their own decisions. But I would not take the next step and compel people to do it our way. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so another great conversation um, from the council. I really appreciate everybody's thoughts. Um, so I just wanted to uh, quickly um, uh, commend the staff and then lend my support uh, to the general recommendations. Um, I do want to say, um, this memo was a model of clarity in both the pluses and minuses of a policy decision that we're making. I really appreciate that. Um, staff always does a great job, but this was one where I really appreciated that um, uh, the staff laid out, you know, all the reasons why and all the reasons why not. And it was really well done. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, I, I do I, I support the recommendation of doing this. Um, I, I know we heard testimony earlier about doing it more rapidly. I agree with my, my colleagues that this is the right uh, phased approach, uh, which is, of course, agreeing with the staff. Uh, doing it right, doing it thoughtfully, doing it with stakeholder engagement, um, doing it with um, an education of the public over time. And then, you know, I'm just there's the reality that California is banning gas-powered leaf blowers as of 2024 and what we know about uh, consumer uh, development of consumer products in the United States is that if California bans it uh, anyone who's manufacturing a product in the United States is not going to exclude the entire state of California and its 45 million um, population from uh, from their addressable market. So they're going to build a product that will meet the standards of, of California. And so I think that's another reason. I think we're going to see some pretty substantial uh, improvements in this technology um, 
over the next couple of years. And so I just think this phased approach makes a lot of sense. And so um, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, going last, I, I honestly don't have much to add from what's already been said. I just want to emphasize a couple things <clears throat> for me. First, I do appreciate all the comments that have been received over the last three to four years um, since uh, early 2020 is when I they started flowing in. Um, and they really haven't let up much um, over time. So uh, really do appreciate hearing from people but on both sides of the issue, actually. Um, and then on, on the efforts that, that you all did, I really appreciated the research background and kind of what other communities are doing. That's something that's, you know, not always easy to summarize succinctly. Um, and then you, you, sprink, you sprinkled the memo with links to all these documents and that you could dive into even more. Um, so that was, that's helpful for those that, that wanted to do that. So thank you. Uh, I just wanted to comment on the last question. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I, I, I agree with the Deputy Mayor to maybe not expand the scope, but I'd be interested in hearing what you might find uh, as you talk to more people and bringing that back and saying, you know, maybe we do need to consider something more, um, depending upon what we hear and how technology changes and things like that. I, I don't think we should go into it with that, with expanding the scope of mind, but I wouldn't mind hearing um, if, if some new information is, is obtained where we, we, we might want to. That, that's all, I just wanna be flexible to, uh, based upon what you hear. And then on the enforcement issue, I mean, my understanding is you'll you'll be looking at that as well, and providing options on on what we could think of. Recognizing the fact that we will get more phone calls and more more things, um, more emails and and everything um, once this goes through. So we we need to have a plan on on how to do that. Um, so I hope to I'd like to, us to be creative and kind of figure out you know what what else we can be doing there. So thank you. Who knew we were going to have so much fun with this? <laughs> okay, um, I too support basically the full recommendation. I think the timeline is great. I think that we do need to um, be aware that we're going to have to be flexible, dependent on production, on the development of, of, of more sophisticated um, electrical or electric devices. Um, I like the methodology. Um, I think you've identified pretty much all of the components. Um, and I don't really want to go and expand this so much as I want to pay attention. This is a movement. This is, this, there are going to be tales that we can hang on to, or you know, I, I suspect there will be several bills around uh, two-stroke engines coming up next time in the legislature. Um, and with that, thank you, ladies. Very well done. And um, I think you probably have enough to come back to us next time. Thank you very much. And I think we better take thank maybe you, a 10 minute break. <clears throat> okay. So we're going to take a 10 minute break. Before we I was just going to suggest that. So. Thank you very much. You. So we'll be back at uh, 925. So. Recording.
Thank you. We are Recording back. in progress. We are back in session following a 10-minute break and at the final item of our business agenda today, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work plan update. City Manager. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So as you know, we uh, presented this on the consent item last meeting, and council members said they had much more interest in the topic and wanted a more thorough briefing, so we're very excited to give that to you tonight. And here to start the presentation off and introduce her team is our Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Manager, Erica Moscoro. Thank you so much, City Manager Triplett. Good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and City Council. My name is Erica Mascorro, and I'm the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Manager, known to many as DEIB. And it's my pleasure to give you tonight an update a, on our hi, a highlights report on our projects that our DEI team has been working on this quarter. First, I'd like to introduce uh, my team uh, first, Don Robinson. Uh, Don is our senior community engagement coordinator, and virtually we have Andriana Campbell, special projects coordinator, and me. Our amazing work plan consists of 68 DIB roadmap objectives, which allows us to positively connect with all city employees and serve nearly 100,000 Kirkland residents. The DIB team works with leadership and staff across the organization to execute work. We want to give a special thanks to Kurt Triplett, city manager, and Jim Lopez, deputy city manager, for their energy and support on all of this work. Tonight's update is limited to 10 slides and 10 minutes, so it will be really high level, but I welcome your questions at the end of the presentation. First, some background. If you recall, on February 21st, 2017, City Council approved Resolution 5240, declaring that the City of Kirkland is a safe, inclusive, and welcoming city. Then, on August 4th, 2020, Resolution 5434 was approved, affirming that Black Lives Matter and approving the framework for Kirkland to become a safe, inclusive, and welcoming community, community through actions to improve the safety and respect of black people and end structural racism by partnering with those most affected. These two resolutions set the stage for the creation of the city of Kirkland's first diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging five-year roadmap. And as I noted, the roadmap has 68 objectives with work crossing all departments across the organization. Tonight, I will be sharing with you some highlights on the following projects that the DIB team is currently working on. They are the Kirkland Initiative, Welcoming America Certification, Equity Impact Assessment Tool, Equity and Contracting Policy and Program, DIB Partnership Events and Communications, and Community Appreciation Night. And then we'll go to next steps. First, the Kirkland Initiative. This project is in response to DIB Roadmap Objective 14.2, 
to create a leadership program that assists in diversity, governmental process, and engagement groups by cultivating knowledge, interest, and inspiration towards civic engagement. The DIB team has been working with you, City Council, leadership, and staff to develop an eight-week course covering knowledge of how our local government works across 14 different divisions. The eight-week course will be hosted in various locations in city facilities on Thursday nights beginning on May 4th through June 22nd. Marketing for this program has begun and will continue until 20 seats are filled. It is the first time the city will be launching this project and will be hosted at, at a minimum once annually for years to come. Next, the Welcoming America Certification. This project is in response to DIB Roadmap Objective 3.3 for the city to obtain the Welcoming America Certification through a national, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that leads a movement for governmental entities to become more equitable, inclusive, and welcoming, especially by including the immigrant community. As of 2023, there are 18 cities and counties across the U.S. that are certified welcoming. Currently, there are no cities or counties in the state of Washington with this certification. The certification will be granted only after the city successfully completes an audit process by the Welcoming America organization. As I mentioned, obtaining the certification will call for work on other DIB roadmap objectives. Two that I want to highlight today are 15.4 that calls for a proactive community engagement network and 15.3 calling for culturally effective outreach methods. By obtaining the certification, the City of Kirkland will build stronger communities that intentionally connect and include people of all backgrounds and will harness the wealth and vibrancy that comes from diverse talents and a global workforce. Next is the Equity Impact Assessment Tool, listed on the DIB Roadmap as Objective 4.1. It calls to integrate an equity analysis into the daily work of the city. The tool is a way to track and provide meaningful transparency for the community on the city's policies, programs, services, and initiatives. The DIB team is implementing measures into the tool that will provide efficiencies on the data collection efforts for the Title VI Plan and Annual Report, the Environmental Studies Report, and the Financial Annual Performance Measurement Report. The requirements associated with completing this leads to the creation of an ad hoc BIPOC advisory group to nurture social capital between the city and the community and create a pathway for the BIPOC and immigrant community members to participate and be more represented in city processes. Training for staff is projected to begin in the fall. And our next project is the Equity and Contracting Policy and Program. 
The DIB roadmap objective 10.1 calls to implement work that will expand vendor recruitment, internal organizational training, and external vendor training. In starting this work, my first question was, how many minority LGBTQIA and tribal-owned enterprises contract with the city of Kirkland? We did not have the appropriate system in place to collect the data to answer my question, which we automatically identified as the first step to help us address the expansion of recruitment. Another component is identifying who already contracts with us, who is not, and why. The ability to measure this data point is important in evaluating the city's outreach and training efforts. The city recently entered into partnership with the State of Washington's Office Women and Minority Business Enterprises, OWMBE, to offer a series of informal informational training sessions on obtaining certifications, how certifications are used in procurement, and contracting with state agencies and local municipalities. This next slide covers a few events and projects that may not be mentioned in the, D um, in the DIB roadmap as specific objectives, but are worth briefly mentioning as they do what Deputy City Manager Lopez calls grow the DIB garden. These projects are worked in close coordination with our communications division. First are the cultural events at Kirkland Performance Center. The city is currently working to contract with the KPC to bring six events celebrating and supporting culture and community in Kirkland. Second, the Juneteenth celebration is scheduled for June 17th at Juanita Beach Park. The city will be supporting and sponsoring this regional event. Third, in June, we will be celebrating the LGBTQIA community with the unveiling of the first progress flag crosswalk in Kirkland. Next, currently, the city has 41 proclamations on the annual list. We will, when we compare to our surrounding cities, Bellevue has 47 and Redmond has 18. The city's list has the potential to increase through the request of the community, city council, or staff. The request process is posted on our proclamations webpage along with the proclamations that have been issued so, so far for 2023. Last, the DIB, the DIB team has developed a draft cultural calendar and intends to bring it before council to review over the summer. We have reached our last project to highlight, the Community Appreciation Night, an event hosted by the city to say thank you to all the community members that volunteer their time to making Kirkland a wonderful place to live. This is not a DEIB roadmap objective, but our volunteer program offers the potential to build community through inclusion and welcoming. The event will be amazing. This year, the DIB team is expanding the program by adding a cultural performance. This edition is expected to take place every year, each highlighting a different cultural group.
And with that, I'm going to end this highlights update. Um, our next steps, the DIB team is set to provide the council with a comprehensive report on the DIB roadmap this coming summer, where we will cover the work on each of our objectives and the roadmap across each department. And now I welcome your questions. Thank you, Erica, great report and great work. You really have done a beautiful job. Um, discussion. Councilmember Curtis. <laughs> Councilmember Falcone want to go first. Anyway, thank you. And um, I, I'm really happy that we pulled this to elevate the conversations because frequently people don't read the consent calendar and by giving a presentation, I know that people are watching. So thank you. Um, because we are very excited about this work. So I have just a bunch of questions. Um, super thrilled about the Kirkland Initiative. You, and you said there's 20 seats. Um, is there an application process? Is it first come, first serve? How are we outreaching? How are we filling those 20 seats? Sure. I'm going to pass that question to Don. As you know, he's uh, leading this project, Don. Hello. Okay, so yes, 20 seats. We are hoping that um, everyone who is interested will have an opportunity to do it. But of course, being able to only provide 20 seats so that everyone can have a fully immersive experience is a challenge. So one of the things that's the first part of this initiative from the DEIB roadmap is for us to engage with groups of people who historically do not are not civically engaged whether it's BIPOC, LGBTQIA+, uh, people with disabilities, our um, renters here in the city, or anyone who is new here and who's never had an opportunity to do so. So they will have the priority on the population from uh, the presentation for us to do. The second group of people we're looking at are people who are not civically engaged in general. That covers anyone. So I, my work with the, as the community engagement person, I meet a lot of people through our neighborhood associations, through our boards, through our commissions, volunteerism. If I know you, <laughs> maybe this isn't the right step for you because this is for people who have no idea on how to be involved. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we're all gonna work together to make sure that we round out the cohort so that it's people who are in good faith who want to really be involved in our government and understand the work that you guys do and what we do here in City Hall. Oh, yes, there is an application. <laughs> On the application, uh, there are two things that help us make decisions. Uh, there's one where we ask you to just give us a little bit of your background, let us know who you are and why something like this would apply to you. And then in order to make sure that we're getting a very diverse group of people, we do ask a few questions that uh, tend to describe who you are. And then also if there are any differences or impediments that have kept you from participating in the past and that we may need to be aware of right now. Okay, yeah. good, thank you, that's helpful. You pro I'll probably have more for you, but okay. You know what, <laughs> so I will stand right here. Well, <laughs> both of you. Okay, so the next one I'm, I'm really interested in is the Proactive Community Engagement Network. Dawn's like, or is that a Dawn? Oh, that's a Dawn, okay. So can you tell me more? I mean, because what I'm, I'm liking it to is we've talked in the past about putting together an equity cabinet. 
so that we have these diverse voices that weigh in on, in particular, the comp plan that's coming up. So how, how are we gonna use this group? And it's an ad hoc group, so I assume that means we don't have scheduled meetings, so we're gonna call them up and go, hey, we need you to meet on the comp plan. So how do we keep people engaged during that downtime? And um, how is it different from an equity cabinet? Thank you, Council. Well, Council Member Curtis, pardon me. So it's different from a, a regular commissions or boards group in the sense that it's gonna give us flexibility to build a, a group of people that typically don't participate in a more flexible manner by being informal. Something that um, keeps coming across in conversations with community members is that they don't really connect on their own here in the city. And so they find themselves living in Kirkland and then they might go to a nearby neighboring city um, to find community. Mm. And so informing the ad hoc group, the first thing that we want to address is building that community component. And we want to start off by not bringing asks to them It'll be more of a gathering at first. And as we build trust and get to know each other, then we can say, you know, next Monday we want to get together and discuss this topic. And whoever can come will come, and those that can't make it will be fine. And so in providing that flexibility, we're both building community. We're introducing them to topics um, that are of interest to the city and then getting them to be more engaged and hopefully in the future build something that might be more formal. Thank you. I'm glad we had this conversation because I was, I was thinking of it, frankly, in a more transactional way. And this, from what I'm understanding what you're saying, this is a community building opportunity. Okay. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Um, the last question I have is the equity assessment tool. Can you explain that in a little more detail and how, it, just walk me through an example how we would use that tool. You wanna go, yeah. take it? Okay. Well, a very, so I can tell you about the tool and I can tell you about a very recent example where we're using the tool. So the tool is a way for us to examine the way that as we are as a city implementing policies, programs, services, and initiatives, how we are going and how it's gonna impact the community, how we're thinking of the community when we're forming these decisions, and what is the overall goal that we're trying to get. One of the ways that we're using the equity impact tool in a pilot is through the future of the Houghton Village property outreach that we're doing. We've partnered with Eastside for All with Debbie Lacey, and she is actually doing this tool on the work that we are doing as we are going out to our community members, the neighborhood associations, reaching out to the schools, and really seeing how we are monitoring how this is gonna impact the people. And so that is what we wanna do with the tool. We're having the tool and we wanna make it so that it's something that's easy and accessible for our um, staff to use so that it's usable and it's giving us real data information that we can use. 
One of the things that we're gonna use the tool for is um, the Title VI work that we do here in the city. So anything that is federally funded would have to go through the equity impact tool. Just like the future of the Houghton Village outreach, anything that is a council level policy or procedure or service will also go through the tool so that we are very mindful and very aware of how equity is impacting the way that we do our work here in the city. So it's quantifying our equity assessment and then it creates a feedback loop on improvements for the future. And is there some point where we're gonna report out lessons learned? So part of the tool is a way of how we go back to the community and say, this is what we heard from you and this is what we, the research that we found, this is how we implemented the research and this is what we see. And so the tool that we're developing right now is a, it's gonna be uh, digital, it's gonna be online, electronic. I always struggle with what, what I'm trying to call it. I call it virtual, because everything is virtual right now. Uh, but it's gonna be electronic. And so as we're powering it, and as we go out into the different departments and use it, we will be able to see what's been working, what hasn't been working, what's giving us good feedback, and what isn't. And so when we have a final tool for everyone to use, it has been tested, and the information that is given back to us is something that we know that we truly can use here. And when do you anticipate the final tool being ready? So the testing, the pilot that we're doing right now in the Houghton Village is not gonna be done until May. So that's when we'll have our first true test. Mm -hmm. And then after we have that feedback, we will continue, we're working with our capital projects team on their Title VI work. And so we're hoping that we can do that through now during the summer. And then by the time the fall comes, like Erica mentioned, that we'll have a fully formed tool with um, a guide to accompany it and that it'll roll out throughout the city. So when you come back to us in the summer with your longer report, you can give us some information on yeah, that. Yeah, by the time we come back in the summer, we should be ready to unveil it. Okay, wonderful, thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, that is exactly why I was happy to let Councilmember Curtis go first, so I don't have to say as much because I knew there'd be some overlap there. Um, well, thank you so much for this update. This is really, really, um, I feel like I've learned so much about the work that we're doing and just appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you for that. You know, we acknowledge that this is a journey. This is an ongoing process. Our equity assessment and our DEIB roadmap was not a check the box for this city. And that's why I'm really proud to see the meaningful work that we as a city are doing and that you're leading. So thank you so much for that. Um, I'm looking forward to the more detailed update this summer, so I will keep my remarks fairly short because I know we'll have a deeper discussion then, and I'll try to keep them as focused as possible on the items there, but I will give you a little, little preview of some um, comments I may have moving forward as well. Um, I also am so excited for the Kirkland Initiative to be moving forward. I, you know this is something that some of us on council have been advocating for for quite some time, and I, there's so much potential value here. So thank you for explaining more about that process. Um, some of my questions I think you've partially answered was really around, you know, again, not just that we're doing this, but that we're doing it well, and that we're really creating um, a very welcoming and accessible experience for community members that have historically been excluded from local government. And as we know, that can look like a lot of different things, and we're not gonna get it perfect the first time around, so I really hope that we have meaningful conversations and feedback with those who both did participate and maybe chose not to participate in the community as well around what could have been more inviting and welcoming for them to choose to participate. And I hope that in our marketing communications around this that we're being 
really welcoming in those invitations too, that folks uh, feel comfortable speaking up for any accommodations that they may need, right, to fully participate and what that could look like for them because we, we can't anticipate every need, especially for a group of 20, right? We don't know exactly who's gonna be in the room. And so I really hope that we're encouraging folks in our language to, you know, in our, in our marketing to um, make sure we know, for example, do we need an ASL interpreter or a Spanish interpreter or other languages um, on the fly that people can ask for that, other <clears throat> um, disability accommodations that folks will need and that they feel welcome again to advocate for that because it can be exhausting to have to self-advocate for the same things over and over again so i again i just hope we're letting them know we want you to tell us because we want to create this welcoming um event and space for you uh <clears throat> what else do i have here oh i was yeah thank you so much for talking more about um well answering all of councilmember curtis's questions um the proactive community engagement uh, group. I would love to learn more about that too. I really appreciate the, um, the explanation and description that you gave tonight. I'm still processing some of that and I came in here tonight thinking, yes, I fully support that. And I think there's also a gap and a need for an equity board or an equity cabinet. And I just wanna understand whether that's still the case, right? Um, and what that might look like, whether we think that we need both or whether we feel that um, we're really addressing that need fully with this. Um, again, I just need to process more and probably watch again what you said, but uh, perhaps might wanna sit down and chat just a little bit more about that to understand that a little bit more. Um, and then a couple of other related things that have just been on my mind about this, um, about this work. As you know, we have funding for diverse art and events in the community. You've kind of touched on some of this in your briefing, so thank you so much for that, Erica. Uh, I just wondering, like, what are we doing to be proactively publicizing that, right? And so appreciative of the relationship we have with the Kirkland Performance Center and others, but I'm wondering, I'd really love for that funding to go towards folks who, again, have been historically excluded from these kind of, um, from local government and from, you know, the community at large, right? Um, and so just wondering, what are we doing to, to market that and really publicize that and reach out to folks? And I know I've said this before, but I wanna make sure that funding really goes to community members who uh, want to lead these efforts, want to lead art installations or events in the city, wondering how much you collaborate you know, with um, the Cultural Arts Commission, Committee on that as well, commission, and um, because I would love, love, love to be in the position where you're coming before us and saying, council, we need more money, money for diverse art and events in our community because we've spent it all and we still have more time left you know, before the next budget rather than having carryover from budget to budget. So I would love to see us prioritize that and collaborate on how we can move forward with that. Um, I also, just something I've been thinking about a lot just because there's been little things that have come up. I know we've communicated about some of those things. Bless you. I remember Councilmember Black talking about, don't mean to put you on the spot, Councilmember Black, but talking about when we were doing this work um, of doing the um, equity assessment and formulating the roadmap and thinking about empowering the role of the DEIB team, right? And making sure that that work 
was really visible and integrated throughout the city government and that you would be empowered to, you know, see everybody's calendar and be and, and pop into any meeting on city business unless there was some specific reason, you know, legal reason that you couldn't, to really have a pulse on the work that the city is doing and any equity advisement that certain individuals or departments may need and guidance, right? And I'm not sure how that connects to the roadmap. Um, and I would like to be sure if it's not really clear in the roadmap, as we've talked about this roadmap, is a living document. So how could we incorporate that so that we have that just built into our system and our processes um, to ensure that that's, again, something that you have the time to do and the empowerment to do um, within the organization to really help advise. I know we have a lot of things in the roadmap that are kind of touch on that, but I just wanna make sure that, um, that that does happen and that's in the plans for us to, um, to make sure that that happens. And again, just checking, checking my messy notes to make sure <laughs> that I didn't miss anything. That is all for tonight. Really well done and thank you so much. Thank you, Councilmember Pascal. Well, I'll be brief. I just have a, a question, a uh, comment. Thank you, by the way, for, for all the information, Don and Erica. Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about the equity and contracting item. Um, you know, some of the things I'm curious about there, just to kind of, as, as you continue moving forward with that, that I'm particularly interested in just kind of understanding the scale and the magnitude of what our contracting is to today, generally, so that that, gives me a better perspective of kind of what it is that we're trying to, that we're recommending to, to modify. Um, so what I mean by that is like, for instance, how many contracts on average do we, do we put out a year? Where are those contract, what departments are those contracts typically in? Um, you know, what, what's kind of a sampling of the services that are sought and are some services very, very um, specific uh, or specialized? to where uh, you know, there's gonna be a harder time to seek out you know, a broader set of potential respondents um, compared to other services that are more generalized, let's say, and there might be a more, um, a greater opportunity for you know, diversity in contracting. So I'm just kind of giving you just some, some questions on my mind that I'm, hoping that you'll you know uh be able to to look into a little bit uh, i'm hoping that information's you know not is is readily available um not looking to dig up new new data but and then the average size of contracts too you know i know that our contracts can be small or, or very large so um that's the kind of stuff i just don't have a good sense of any of that and so I, Having that context, I think, will be help, helpful when we when we move forward with kind of specific changes. Thank you. Thank you. Any further discussion? Well done. Well done, all three of you. Um, I'm, I'm just really proud of where we are. So um, keep up the good work. Can't wait to see you this summer. And um, that's it for tonight. With that, that will take us to reports, section 11.
the council reports, and I think I will start with Councilmember Nixon. Nothing to report. Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, uh, really, just one thing to report. I promised that I would um, report back to the council concerning the discussion we had at the Regional Law Safety and Justice Committee. Um, so, uh, Chief Padilla from the Kent Police Department uh, presented on um, Washington law enforcement's uh, legislative priorities for the 2023 session. Uh, so, I promised uh, I would get back to you on that. Um, some of it's not going to surprise anyone, and I won't even spend much time on it, or no, no time on it. Um, certainly, vehicle pursuits, which topic that we've discussed at length, both in the legislative work group and here as a council as a whole. Um, uh, responding to the Blake decision and the crime of drug possession. Uh, what was new that we really haven't talked about is um, Senate Bill 5606, uh, which is a street racing bill. Um, so uh, this is, I, I would just emphasize that um, I think we probably see street racing in Kirkland, but it's not just revving or speeding. Um, street racing is the crime of actually, uh, you know, driving your vehicle and comparing speeds or contesting speeds with another vehicle. Um, and this bill would um, include off-street facilities in street racing. So uh, street racing is not street racing. Street racing is also uh, racing your vehicle um, like in a uh, parking lot. Um, that's what this bill would do that. It would also include drifting. So it's not just comparing the speed of your vehicle, but also um, uh, doing drifting. Uh, and then it would also include the uh, a crime of aiding and abetting, um, so you could charge someone as an accomplice. So apparently, uh, in some jurisdictions, have um, serious um, problems with this, and that's folks actually organizing these events, um, both on public streets and um, on private property. So, um, just wanted to call. I just wanted to round out that um, and. Uh, yeah, share with you what was uh, shared to the Regional Law Safety and Justice Committee, and that was it. Thanks. Thank you very much. Certainly, if anyone has any questions about that, I'd happy to try to answer them. But otherwise, that's it. Thank you, Councilmember Curtis. Um, GMPC, I'm happy to report unanimously unanimously approved the AHC recommendations. Unanimously, SEA Caucus, unanimously. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, next, I'll go to King County and then cities for ratification. I'm going to let the mayor talk about the Women's Leadership Summit. And so that's all I got, except for city manager, can we get an update on Imagine Housing and the grievance policy and the status of Allied? And <clears throat> Absolutely. In fact, when we got the first uh, letter from Cindy, Jim, and Jen Boone are going to be following up on that. So, yeah, and we'll, we'll follow up with a second comment as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Falcon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, there's been a lot of fun stuff happening. I won't go into detail about all of those. Um, there is an SCA Lunch and Learn coming up on Friday about the Veteran Seniors and Human Services Levy Renewal. So if you're able to attend that, uh, it's virtual. So um, I hope you'll put that on your calendars. Um, surprise, Councilmember Curtis didn't mention that the next SCA PIC meeting will be back to in-person. As you may recall, we had a discussion at, at PIC a few months back about how to handle that. And as for now, I think every quarter is the plan uh, to do um, in-person and the others virtual. So I think we both plan on attending. I 
will be the alternate sitting there, perhaps passing notes to Councilmember Curtis on some of the agenda items. Uh, so looking forward to that. And want to confirm, my understanding is that on April 17th, which is before our next meeting, that the new school zone safety cameras will start actually issuing tickets. Is that correct? I have that on my calendar. Anyway, for the public, it's coming soon. I think that's when um, that'll be happening unless something has changed. Um, I will confirm that. I don't know if that's the actual date, but thank you. hopefully I have an answer before the end of the night. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. I have nothing to report. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Two things. On uh, March 23rd, the PSRC executive uh, board had kind of first reading of the designation of the greater downtown Kirkland as a regional center. Uh, you might recall that we first made an application in 2019 and PSRC wanted to see the completion of our station area planning um, and, and, and some other work. Now that we're through that, we're saying, okay, this is our completed application. Uh, no questions, no no objections. I think this was the opportunity for asking for any follow up, and um, uh, went very smoothly. Uh, also, on March 30th, I had the opportunity to help uh, lead a missing middle housing bus tour that the realtors organized, along with planning director Adam Weinstein and senior planner Scott Guter. This toured ADUs and cottage housing projects developed in Kirkland in code that was adopted in the mid-2000s. The goal of this was to say for other elected officials around the region, here's some middle housing. It's existed for 20 years. It's well integrated in the neighborhoods. The impact, it's accepted. Uh, it doesn't have the negative impacts that everybody is fearing. In addition to showing those projects, um, given the code that this council had adopted in 2000 around uh, middle housing, uh, also showed a project that had developed five homes on land that would have only allowed two mega houses under the previous code. So uh, great examples there. Um, one of the sites that was on the realtors list is a duplex near city uh, that's adjacent to city hall. I challenge everybody to go look at this. I walked by this building a hundred times and never noticed that it was a duplex until it was pointed out out on this list. The point is, middle for all the discussion that came out of the legislative agenda, uh, for all the, the uh, story that was in the Seattle Times a couple of weeks ago on the controversy around middle housing, it exists today in Kirkland. We were held up as an example uh, of why this is a solution that's being pushed um, so hard throughout the region and throughout the state as a, <clears throat> a a simple, straightforward, low-impact way to provide more housing. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say one thing, and then I'll let you go again. I have received high compliments, Deputy Mayor, on that tour and the way you and Adam conducted it. So well done. Thank you. And uh, the realtors had a film crew and photo crew with it, so hopefully they'll we'll be some information that could be distributed for folks that, that couldn't make it. Wonderful. Mayor, may I? Uh, uh, on that topic? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I did, Affordable Housing Week is coming up in May, and so I did send an email to Adam today asking if we could do the tour again during that week. Oh, great idea. Yeah. Okay. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I can't wait to see that video, Deputy Mayor. That sounds wonderful. I just forgot one thing, um, well, two related things. Um, we had our... Um, 
meeting of the uh, Sound Cities Association DEIB cabinet um, since our last meeting where I was, we worked on our work plan, which is uh, really important. And also I was um, elected as vice chair of that group. So I'm looking forward to continuing that work and liaising between that and the um, SEA board as well. And we had our first meeting of the Association of Washington Cities DEIB cabinet. And it is a fantastic group of fo diverse folks from all over the state. I'm really, really excited about that group. So just Excellent. wanted to mention that. Keep up the good work. Okay, just a couple things from me. The Women's Leadership Summit. I have done nothing but brag about it since since we participated in, in it. You guys should try and pull something like this together. It, it, was, <laughs> it was amazing. I have, sitting in that room with 80 of us from Kirkland was an experience I think that, that all three of us were thrilled to be a part of. Um, and I, I tell you, I walked into City Hall the next day and it, you still felt that energy from the women who were part of, part of the day's discussion. Um, I don't know if there's going to be anything that comes out of it in terms of a summary of what all of the topics that we covered, yes. but it was it was an amazing feat. So proud of the women who put it together. So proud of all of the participants. It was an absolutely engaged group from the moment we started in the morning through the, through every element of it. So can't say enough good things about what happened. And I swear to God, somebody's got to put some kind of application for an award in for Julie pulling that together. Um, and I know she didn't do it alone, but it, it was her passion that I think got the ball rolling. Um, forgot to say hi to you at the Lake Washington Schools Foundation <laughs> luncheon. That was, a, God, it was just a packed luncheon. Like week before last, I think they're doing very well. And then I just wanted to mention that I spent an afternoon with Louita Hawkinson going over pictures and stories about the cannery. And there is just so much rich history in there that um, no matter what we do, we have to figure out a way to either write a book on the cannery or get one written or something. But it, it is, it's a fabulous story. Anyway, that is all. And with that, I'll turn that over to you, city manager. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so thank you, Mayor. So we actually have one sort of business item under the city manager report, which I'll do first and then come back to my final report. And that is we do have draft questions for the survey that we want to do for the parks ballot measure. Um, we have drafted these questions. Uh, we have sent them to EMC Research. They have not yet given them back to us with how they would like tweak them to be something they put out in the field. So this is, a, this is still draft draft. Um, but we want to have a chance to just run you through each of them and then get your feedback. And I know one of the things we'll talk about is whether to add some of the, the elements that the park board raised. So uh, here to walk you through both of those things are David Olbrick, our communications manager, and Hillary De La Cruz, who's been uh, the management analyst supporting the PFEC process. Great. David, are you Great. leading? Oh, are you Hillary? Mm. Um, good evening, council members. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here to be talking about the draft community survey questions like Kurt just mentioned. Um, and on March 21st, city council heard about the PFEC results um, and also agreed with staff and PFEC that there needed to be an additional PFEC meeting um, in May, after which the community survey results would be available. And so tonight, David and I are going to walk through the general timeline and then go through each of the draft questions and seek your feedback. And good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the council. Um, so as Hillary mentioned, I just want to give a quick overview of 
uh, where we're heading with the survey. So um, we have drafted up kind of this preliminary draft um, that you're reviewing tonight. Um, we're aiming to get it all finalized uh, by April 11th, and that includes a review by the Public Disclosure Commission. Um, then EMC Research will put the survey into the field um, following the Lake Washington School District spring break. Um, so that, as a reminder, is statistically valid uh, with 400 participants um, and a hybrid telephone, uh, text, and email to an online option. Uh, once EMC closes their collection, we will post an open link survey um, to collect additional um, self-selected data. Um, we will provide to PFEC on May 1st uh, the result, results of the statistically valid survey and kind of results to date of the open link survey. Um, and that will culminate in the May 16th presentation back to you all um, with the complete survey results. Um, and just a reminder that the overarching goal um, of this community survey was to um, for us to understand the importance to our community of the six elements recommended by PFAC for a potential ballot measure. As the city manager mentioned, there, there, there might be expansions to that scope. Um, Either way, uh, the survey results will aid PFAC to consider further recommendations to council um, and for council to uh, consider as uh, you all finalize a potential ballot measure. So with that, Hillary, do you want to go through some of the feedback that we have integrated? Yes. So I just wanted to um, highlight, and this is elaborated on more in the memo in your council packet, but um, council provided some feedback about the survey in general at the March 21st meeting. And we took the council, the questions from council that were focusing on having a diverse set of responses, and then also questions around comparing 2014, a similar 2014 survey results um, to this survey. And we took those to EMC research. And I wanted to highlight a couple of the things that were shared. Um, so during that meeting, council expressed interest in ensuring representation of young people in the survey and focus on focusing on having a diverse set of respondents with attention being given to being able to do multivariate analysis between groups. Um, and EMC shared that they generally approach these types of surveys with a true randomized sample with attention to aligning to age, geographic area, and gender representation of a jurisdiction. And they don't recommend targeting specific subgroups since oversampling specific subgroups could skew the results of the survey. And as David mentioned, the overall arching goal of our survey is to understand what the general Kirkland um, voting population thinks about the potential ballot measure. And um, but I did want to share that the open link survey will be available after the statistically valid version, and that will be posted on the city's website and staff are developing targeted outreach strategies for youth as well to garner more specific feedback for council. And then um, related to the survey, um, potentially in including questions from the 2014 survey that was similar um, scope of trying to look at aquatics in Kirkland. Um, we shared those questions with EMC research and a few of the questions are included in the survey question 2022, excuse me, that you will see tonight about the importance of specific components. Um, so now I'm going to really walk through all the questions and like was shared in the email that was sent to you this afternoon with the questions. Um, these are a draft that we've worked on with EMC research, but some of the final tweaks that we've put into this working draft have not been reviewed by EMC yet. So um, everything is subject to change. And so on this page here, you'll see um, we just have kind of our standard questions about um, asking if someone lives in Kirkland and what they think about the general direction Kirkland is going in right now, an open-ended question about the most important problems facing Kirkland today, 
um, and then asking about five specific things that Kirkland could invest in in the next few years and how important um, an individual would rank each of those things. And you'll see they'll be randomized in the survey, but you'll see that the first three there are um, not related to parks and community services. And then the last two are kind of specifically related to the potential ballot measure investments. And I think we want questions along the way. So if you have questions or comments. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah, I was going to ask if you was okay to interrupt. Um, it's on. late. <laughs> so question number two, do you feel things are going okay or do you think we're off track is such a polarizing question and I'm not <clears throat> a survey expert so could you tell me why we start out with such a polarizing question? That's a, that's a great question. Oh, go for it David. <laughs> yeah sorry Hillary. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and take a run at that one. So um, we so I, I guess I should caveat this with we haven't gotten specific kind of feedback from EMC research on why they include this in it. And so a lot of this is just general understanding of how to kind of structure surveys like this. And so um, I think for one thing, it's a kind of an easy answer for someone to to, to provide an, uh, like feedback on. And so at least get some kind of warmed up. Um, it is also helpful to know a little bit around how some sentiment is depending on on the pers like subsequent questions in the survey how people um view whether things are in the right direction or or off track um it's helpful to then uh, be able to interpret the results um that way um and i believe this has been a pretty standard question that we've asked for all kind of the community surveys that we conduct um every every two years um for I think uh, the extent that we've been doing them, but I, I could double check that. And I don't know if Hillary or follow, anyone else has. Follow up question though. I would just, oh, sorry. I, I mean, just add, the add. pretty seriously is is what bothers me about that question. Okay, so so I can get feedback. I think what they, I've heard them say in the past is designed to be polarizing. I mean, basically what they, they don't want someone to say, eh, yeah, like, like they're, the goal of the question is, are we in the right direction or are we seriously off track? Uh, because you're trying to get just, just like, bang, what do you think about city? That doesn't mean we can't change the wording, but that's what I've heard them say in the past, and they, they use this question in our surveys and, and similar surveys that they do, which doesn't mean we can't change it, but that's that's why. Well, what, I think what David just said is it sort of does a temperature check, right? If someone says, yes, I think Kirkland is seriously off track, then everything that's negative comes out of that we realize it's because they're unhappy, but we don't really quantify that negativity. It's not like we take the negative answers and go, oh, well, they're, they're really unhappy, we're not. So I'm not sure what the temperature check achieves. And so we can get a better answer for that. Uh, the, it basically says, how happy are you with the city? And and so when the other questions are designed to sort of pull out those things, so the, next, the reason the next one's always open-ended, it's like, so what are you unhappy about if you're mm -hmm. unhappy? Like, so you get the sense of right away of, because I don't like the congestion or I don't like the housing costs or I don't like or whatever it is. Um, but it's to get that general sense of them before you go into the specifics of the actual, what are you asking them about today? So, but we'll get a better answer. Um, I think, you know, there's other questions that I want to get to, but I think we can certainly circle that one and see if it, there's a better way to ask it or if they've asked it a different way in other cities. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, Deputy Marinold. Uh, one comment on this. If we have asked this question in this exact same way, there's a value in the trend. So uh, you may not be getting the, just as a yes, no, or just as a polarized question, uh, an indicator, but we would get an indicator on is this move since we've asked it over time. Generally, it hasn't, but if the landscape has shifted, I think that'd be really interesting background. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I had also flagged this question to have feedback on, so thank you, Councilmember Curtis, for raising it. I think there are a few things to consider here, both with questions two and three on the screen. Um, we're setting folks' mindset to answer the rest of the questions on the survey by the introductory questions. And so if we really need to know that information, which I would question whether that's true, because we need to think about what is the research question, what's our objective here in doing this survey, I don't think every survey we should try to take a pulse of where people are as far as how they feel we're doing. That's not the purpose of doing the survey. But if we feel that we really need to know it, perhaps we could either reword it and or move it to the end of the survey. I feel strongly that the value in good quality data supersedes being able to track data. I think that's always the case. Um, and so we potentially risk getting poor quality data in the rest of the survey if we're not really careful about how we start the survey. So. Um, I also didn't see a lot of introductory, I mean, there's some introductory text, but we can perhaps talk about that later. Um, if we were to reword it, I, you know, I think, and again, I know that our consultants haven't yet reviewed this, uh, but I think we could frame it a little bit more neutrally, like in general, how do you think, how do you think things are going in the city of Kirkland and could have a scale um, that would have different options? Uh, also, this question seems to, doesn't really specifically address the city government, like how the city government is functioning. It's really just in the, things in the city of Kirkland. It could be that they're really upset or really happy about things having nothing to do with the city government and the work that we're doing. Uh, <clears throat> I feel even more strongly about question three. Uh, I don't know why we're asking about, assuming that there's a problem and asking about a problem. I don't understand why I'm thinking Maybe it's wanting to f be a follow-up to question two, and if we are, then I think that we should have a tailored follow-up. Like, if people are happy, like, what are you happy about? If people are upset, you know, how do you feel that we've gotten off on the wrong track? I think that's the intent, but it kind of misses the mark. So um, I think there's some work to do on questions two and three. I agree. Thank you. Okay, let's keep moving. <laughs> Great, um, thanks for that feedback. Anything on question four before I move on to the next slide? Great. So now, um, as you'll have reviewed, we're kind of getting into the questions specifically about this potential ballot measure. And question nine um, provides a very high level description of the ballot measure as the PFAC base package is included and um, kind of gets someone's initial pulse having relatively limited information about this, would they um, support or oppose a ballot measure? And then question 10 follows up. Um, so question nine, as you see at the end, would have the cost um, in cents per 1,000 of assessed value. And question 10 would follow up mentioning specifically that the cost to the $1.2 million home, which is 
the median in Kirkland would be $288 a year and ask again, um, and they would use the same scale as above of strongly support to strongly oppose. Any thoughts about this question? None. Great. Oh, Councilmember Falco. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to track the order of the survey that we were sent with here, and I'm struggling a little bit. So, is there a follow-up question to question nine? Because I'd really love to know if they would oppose it. Why? Is there something that we could do differently that they would no longer that they would support it? So, I think it'd be really helpful to have a follow-up. You're just with me. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> just, just to kind of answer um, your specific question, there's not a follow-up in this part. The rest of the survey will go deeper into that, so we might gain a little bit of that, but we can make a note of checking with EMC about the potential of a follow-up and where that would best fit in the kind of progression of the survey. Yeah, and perhaps the why is, are there things in this package you support or not support? Um because Don't we have no. to be kind of cautious? Well, we actually later on in the survey, we ask about each individual element of it. <clears throat> so you're trying to get the question, like, how do you respond to what you're likely to see something similar to the ballot measure title, uh -huh. but do it in a way that's appropriate? I got it. And then go through each element afterward and say, was this important to you? Was this important? Was this important to you? So. Yes, and we might we might miss something because we're those are all closed-ended questions. And so there might be something in the language here that we learn about the way we're saying it. I feel like there might be value if there's time in the survey. We can certainly raise it with EMC research and, and see what they suggest. Great. So the next question is um, the first question on this page here, number 11, is another um, randomized interval question. And this one's asking a little bit more to understand um, what people see as the need around these different items that are in the base package. And so asking if they think Kirkland needs a lot more, a little more, or already has enough of the item. Um, and as you can see, those have the base package of the PFAC recommendation. And then the question um, 18 here is asking um, what a little bit trying to get at the understanding of how people might feel about increased taxes and the city's um, management of tax dollars, um, as well as number 20 there you'll see just asking um, people whether they agree with a statement that says there are plenty of other places for recreation in our area and we don't need more of these types of facilities and programs right now. Is this where we would consider adding questions specific to what the park board recommendations are? I think, yeah, I think Maybe doing it at 11 and then the following section. Under question 11, you might add a couple of the, mm -hmm. like like um, artificial turf fields and you know safety, you know, maybe, maybe we'd say safety improvements or maybe we'd say um, park rangers, you know, something like that where we pick up those things that they were asking about. Uh, Councilmember Nixon. Yeah, this is this section 11 through 17 and also 21 to, to 33. Um, which is on the next slide, uh, are things that where I wanted to add. Um, they would be worded slightly differently in each grouping, but yeah, yeah. but I'd like to ask about playing fields. Um, I'd like to ask about um, the uh, artificial turf fields and maybe lighted at the same time. Um, and I'd like to ask about dog parks. 
and then security or rangers, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly how that fits with the rest of these, um, but uh, that was something that the, the park board mentioned. Um, what, what I want to avoid doing is only giving people the opportunity to comment on the things that PFEC recommended. I, I want to mm -hmm. be able to offer some other things that, like in the pros plan, are priorities or that the park board recommended as priorities so that um, we can compare those things to, uh, to what PFEC recommended. And I think what, yeah, thank you, Councilmember Nixon. I think we'll, one of the challenges that we'll find is just making sure that there's a balance of like for the timing and being able to drop off questions or if we're adding on questions. And so that's something that we'll definitely bring back to EMC and see where we can land with that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we need to ask EMC. Um, my feeling is that these questions where it's just asking just asking people for a one to seven answer mm -hmm. only take a couple of seconds each. You're ripping through them pretty quick. Yeah. And, and so I think adding three or four in each of these sections would add maybe 30 seconds to a minute to the overall survey. But I would like to get EMC's feedback on that. Okay. And I yes, would certainly. just add one thing to your list. I would not include the lights. Turf fields imply much more extensive use. Okay. Anyway, um, Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. A couple of, of uh, comments on what Councilmember Nixon is talking about. Um, when we talk about dog parks, I would like to make sure that we're saying permanent dog parks. I think that's what's being asked about. The park board, in looking at the security issues, I would like to separate the issue of park rangers from the other security features. And if we're going to ask about security features, I want to specifically ask about cameras, because that may, you know, d do people support cameras? I don't know. There's, it's a complicated issue, and I think that's part of why PFEC avoided it. And um, I'd like to ask that specifically. On um, the question about the, the um, finance, Finances and revenue, uh, back a slide, I think. Um, question uh, item 19, I think what we're trying to get at is whether people are willing to invest. And I'm not sure that the wording of question 19 gets to that. And so I'd prefer something more that says I, I'm willing to invest in new facilities and I'm willing to pay more for new facilities and enhanced levels of service. Because uh, I don't think that's, I don't think we get what we're looking for with how question 19 is working. Okay. Thank you. Let's get to you back. Uh, Councilmember Falco. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, for questions, for question 13, I'll start with, um, I'm a bit concerned that that's, well, not even a double barrel question. It's like a quadruple barrel question, right? We're asking for, trying to ask four questions in one question. People's opinions could change drastically, could, could really vary as to whether they support sports courts for pickleball, for tennis, for basketball, and for sand volleyball. And that would be really hard cognitively for somebody who has mixed feelings on those to answer that question. And so mm -hmm. I, rec I'm, I assume that our consultants would identify that and address that already. Okay. That's pretty basic Good survey practice. Um, and then question 14, uh, I think the Green Loop is more than a hiking trail. I view it as more than a hiking trail. 
I view it as preservation of green space as well. So I think we need to be thoughtful on how we word um, communications about the green loop because it has more value than just hiking. Um, and I'm also concerned here that this is the only item that we're specifying a region within Kirkland that it would be. We don't specify where the be beaches are, where lifeguards will be. We don't specify, you know, location other than aquatic center. So I think that that's going to bias people a certain way. So I would probably leave that out, but maybe be more descriptive with saying that it's a preservation of green space that includes hiking trails or something of that nature. I think that's a, that's really good point about it's the only one. One of our things is there's, if you don't live in Fin Hill, you don't know where the green loop is yeah. or even what the green loop is. So we're trying to like give somebody a sense. I think of, we can describe it like the green loop, which is, you know, just hiking and, trails and yeah. preservation. Yeah, hiking trails and preservation. <clears throat> Maybe not even need to call it the Green Loop. Yes. So that was the intent, but I think yeah. we can. Yeah, I, I get the the right. point, but yeah. Uh, I also um, this is a multimodal survey, right? Did I see that correctly? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to deal with this this question or these series of questions differently on the phone and online, right? Because one's auditory, one's visual, and so. I would just want to, I'm really concerned about um, like straight lining and other things with questions like this, specifically with a seven point scale that folks aren't even going to take two to three seconds per Councilmember Nixon's point. They're just going to maybe read the first two and then just do a diagonal or like do a shape or go straight down the middle. People do that all the time with these types of questions, especially if you have lots of items for it. There are ways of tackling that visually and there are ways of tackling that over the phone. Um, and it really just kills your data. I mean, you just get really horrible data and you can't really identify it unless you really do a lot of analysis. Uh, and um, so I'd like to know how they're gonna deal with that. And some of those approaches would be to ask it differently, to not have, um, you know, this be a seven point scale question, you know, to have, you know, online where they can drag their top 10 choices and rank them or they can, uh, anyway, or pick within each group of five their top two, and then that gets put into a pool, you know, on the phone. And anyway, there's so many different ways of addressing this, and it's going to need to be addressed differently on the phone than it will be online. And so I'm just really concerned because to me, this is one of the really important pieces of data that we're going to gather, and I can't imagine we're going to get good data the way that it's currently being presented. And so that I think is one of the most important things for them to be consider and propose alternatives, um, using their expertise, and then how to reconcile those data when you're presenting on the multimodal data as well, making sure that they do analysis to ensure that they are, uh, that they can be joined together in a single analysis, um, I think will be really important as well. And I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Cruz. Geeking out, Councilmember <laughs> Falcone. I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> Okay, uh, number 17, I think we want to say availability of year-round swim lessons. And on number 16, <clears throat> it's not just long, it says longer lifeguard hours, and we're not just talking, we're not talking about longer days, we're talking about covering the long, the... More lifeguard more, hours. Longer... Season. Season. Yeah. Season, yeah. yeah. So let's be more clear on that. <clears throat> Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Next slide, Hillary. Great. <laughs> um, oh, excuse me. I clicked too far. <laughs> 
apologies. Um, I think we kind of went over this slide for 21 with the extended list of potential items, um, but I did want to revisit this in case there were any other thoughts about it. And as, the, as you'll see, this is the slide where some of the questions from the 2014 survey were incorporated. Um, their numbers 21 through 25 are some of um, a slightly differently worded version of those questions about the specifics of a facility. Were there any other questions or thoughts about this slide? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Only when I say that my previous comments apply to this question as well. Thank yes. You. Yeah. yeah. Understood. Great. Um, so next, we have another question that's given everything else that someone has heard and all this kind of reading that they've done. Would they strongly support or strong to strongly oppose? the proposal. Um, this is a mirror of the question that was asked before, although more details about the potential proposal. And then the question after that is asking about the location for the new facilities. And this a question makes the unspoken assumption that there would be um, one facility. So asking about whether um, someone would choose a facility on the former Houghton Park and Ride site in South Central Kirkland or at the North Kirkland Community Center Park. Okay, this may be a dumb question. Um, why are we using $1.2 million home rather than just a million dollar home? It's just easier for people to do the math if it's a million. Great question. So we talked with this a little bit about this with EMC because I know, um, as everyone knows, we've been using the million dollar home in PFEC as our benchmark. And our biggest reason for doing that during PFEC was that we didn't have the new assessed value that we will be using in the 2023 tax year for comparison available. And like Councilmember Curtis just mentioned, it's a lot easier to do the math up and down from the 1 million. Um, however, when we were talking with EMC, now that we do have the $1.238 million home as the median value in um, Kirkland, which is the comparison benchmark, they were kind of recommending that we, it's probably best practice to be using the median home value because that also helps someone understand how does their home compare to the median home and the other homes in Kirkland. Um, and hopefully it's not too bad, too bad to do the math kind of up and down from the 1.2 as well, but it's definitely not quite as simple as 1 million. That's also the likely language on the ballot measure itself. You use the, the um, yeah, that same number, so. Okay. So my other thought was not everyone knows where North Kirkland Community Center <clears throat> is or the Houghton Park and Ride. I mean, those are terms that we, we know. So is it beneficial to be more descriptive? I mean, Houghton Park and Ride does say South Central Kirkland. Do we want to say... I know if I say this, you guys are going to say I'm skewing it, but close to 405. Um, I just I feel like that needs more. Both of those need more explanation. Yeah, we can take that to, to EMC and see how they might recommend we, we do that, whether it's a nearby landmark or, yeah, yeah. like something like the, you know, the 405 or something like that. So okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, Councilmember Pascal. Uh, Councilmember Curtis just asked my question. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, knowing what I know about how the property tax system works, I read this and say, well, that's really misleading. 
because it wouldn't be permanently 23 cents per thousand. It would initially be 23 cents per thousand. If property assessments went up, the rate would go down. Sure. Um, and so I'm wondering if it would be better and easier for people to understand if it was, if we didn't have the approximately 23 cents per thousand assessed value and just had it be hmm. um, at, at an initial cost to the owner of a $1.2 million home, it would be $288 per year. I think people can relate to $288 a year way more than they can relate to the tax rate. Uh, I understand the reason to do that because that's going to have to be in the the ballot language, but it's, I, I don't know, I feel like it's different when you're reading something to somebody over the phone versus they're reading something on a ballot or in the voter guide where they can have time to process the information. Um, do you think it's essential that we mention the rate or could we just mention the dollars per year? I think it's a great question to ask them as well. Okay. Yeah. Again, both of those things will show up on the ballot title, but that doesn't, you know, it would be great to ask them and see what they think. But I think it's a fair question. Yeah, and I think the fact that the that the rate floats yeah. um, based on the 1% per year plus the uh, hmm. assessed values means saying it's using permanently and 23 cents that close together just worries yeah. me a little bit. Super. Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, just want to add my uh, voice to the idea of removing the sort of general geographic um, language from 35 and 36. I'd really like, uh, I, I think, David, you said a landmark. I mean, I think there's, you know, at 70th and 405 or along 124th, you know, west of Totem Lake, something like that would be better. I don't like the general uh geographical language um and then the other thing i um i really think we have to ask emc about the green loop i'm really the more we've talked here and the more i've read these I, i'm really worried we're going to get we're not going to get good data on the green loop um park board knows well what it is pfec if they didn't know well what it was before they joined they learned very well what it was after being on pfec for eight months um it's going to be really hard for our average resident to know what that is. So I just, from an expert, from the experts, I'd like to hear what they think, um, how, how you handle something like that that is so um, unclear to the average Kirkland resident. Um, all this other stuff is so, is so crisp and clear, um, but that's one that is just really hard to, uh, to respond to if you have no idea really what it is. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll 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 bring that to them and get some guidance. Um, can I just? Oh, go for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's kind of the the point that I was trying to make last meeting was. You asked the question: If most people don't know what Green Loop is, why would they vote for it? I mean, why why would they support that? Right. So. I, I mean, I don't know that you do a lot of explanation here. I think that's what we kind of learned from this survey, perhaps. Which is why I think the green, green space and, and, and public trails is a better approach with that question. Go ahead. Well, just to respond, actually, that's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think I actually, and it cuts against doing trails and green space. It actually, uh, what, what Councilmember Pascal just said might be exactly the right answer, which is you ask about the green loop because that's what people are going to see in the, when they see the uh, statements in the, in the voter's guide. Um, and so that any, the green loop loop in the voter's guide in the, in the pro statement. I'm, okay. Right. It, there's not, and there's not going to be space to explain exactly what the green loop and on the website All right. and on the website, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, um, I thought that was a really good point. And, um, I still would like to hear what the consultants have to think about all of this, but. That's going to be a long meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Are there comments on those? Okay. Great. So our, oh, was there something else? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, so our kind of final substantive question before demographic questions um, is here on the screen. And so this is asking about the alternative idea of having two smaller complementary indoor facilities and mentioning that one would be focused on aquatics at Houghton Park and Ride and the other focused on recreation at NKCC and stating that this is instead of doing um, one larger facility with co-located aquatics and recreation amenities. And um, for this, at the moment, we just have a statement that it would increase the overall cost of the potential ballot measure. We're still kind of figuring out exactly how we could ask that part of the question. And so there's two questions associated with this. One would be whether someone thinks um, that it's important um, to not important. And then second, whether it's considering a one facility measure or a two facility measure, which one would be preferred. And I just want to, I'm sure that there are thoughts on this. And this is, of course, the question that PFEC has been considering and council has been considering and park board. And um, we are, this is one of the ones that the um, consultants haven't had a chance to provide their specific feedback on yet. And so we'll be seeking that. But this is kind of what we are imagining as a way that we can ask it within the bounds of what we are able to do. Councilmember Curtis. We're stereo today. Um, so, Hillary, one of, as we know, one of the conversations, many conversations on a PFAC people were skewing one way or another based on proximity as to where that they live. <clears throat> and we're not asking that. So we're asking people, do you like this facility or that facility? And I feel like we need to ask the question, why? Um, what, 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 what factors influenced your decision? So can you ask the consultants on that? Yeah, we'll ask them. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Who knew that this would have lead to the most discussion tonight, <laughs> the survey at the end of the night? Um, yeah, I'm concerned about how we're asking this and in the grand scheme of how we're framing the default is one, and oh, by the way, alternatively, we might consider two. I think we're it's kind of a leading question, the way that we have it framed. So I actually propose that we completely rewrite how we phrase the other questions related to this and this question if we actually want to know people's true opinions, right? This seems like an afterthought and a check the box and really not a way to actually assess people's preference for one versus two facilities. I have all kinds of ideas about that, but I will hope that the um, consultant will provide their expertise on that. Um, I also 
I also had notes under the demographic section what Councilmember Curtis mentioned that we're not collecting at least neighborhood. Um, so I think we should collect some geographic data there that would be very relevant to this and other things in the survey. Um, also for question 38, um, I don't think it's useful to ask um, which one would be more important to you. I think we need to know would you support one and would you support two as separate questions or to what extent. Because someone could be pretty close on the fence. Oh, they kind of prefer two, so, and so they, they'll pick that. But they might you know, support one facility or two facilities, right? And maybe it's just they, they would give on a scale of one to seven, a, you know, a six for two facilities and a five for one facility. So I think we need to ask that in a little bit more detailed way, question 38. And I agree with Councilmember Curtis, if we have space to ask a follow-up of why um, as well. Thank you. Thanks. Just a quick clarifying, so we'll ask about that. Your comment on alternatively is basically what you want to say is you sort of have two equal options we're asking about, not here's the afterthought one. So, so set them up in the survey with language that makes them seem as equal options so that you can yes. get Yes, like the city is considering two possible scenarios here. Options one is this, option two is having okay. two facilities. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, question. Go ahead. You know, as I think about this question more, I mean, do we truly have a feasible option where, where we're truly considering two facilities? Um, I mean, well, I, I, we, we've asked I, OPSIS to design it. Okay. So, I mean, at least do the... We're still working on yeah, that. So we'll have that information that says and it's going to cost you X, right? So you, you may, council may say, we don't even really care what the public feedback is. If it's $200 million, we're not right. doing it, right? Yeah. Um, so sadly, we won't have that before we need to do okay. this. But but they're going to cost it out, and they are going to cost out a version that says, what if you just replaced NKCC for about the same 20,000 square feet, right? So so you'll have you'll have more data than the, the, the they respondents will. will have. Okay. Thank you. Anything else on this one? Nope. All right. Great. Um, and then the last slide here, I do just want to share the demographic questions that will um, that are currently written and as they are. Um, and these are pretty similarly mapped to the same demographic questions we used during the ComSeg survey as well. So anyone has any thoughts? I know I heard Councilmember Falcon's um, question about including neighborhood, and we can bring that to EMC. Okay, Councilmember Falcon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Not surprisingly, I have feedback here. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, great job on this, and I hope you know that my feedback is because I really care, because this is such <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an important initiative that I'm so passionate about. I want to make sure, and I care so much about genuinely hearing what the community wants that I want to make sure we get this right. So thank you for, for hearing our feedback. Um, you don't have all the response options here on the slide, but looking, um, my Wi-Fi isn't working, so I'm looking at my phone to look at the questionnaire. Um, under question, I think it's 13.43, um, under gender, we have male and female, which are categories of sex, not gender. So if we could change that to man and woman, everyone I believe will be 18 and up. And so we can use man and woman and don't need to worry about boy or girl there. Um, if we could do that, that would be great. 
14.44, the third option, well, the first option is own slash buying, second option rent slash lease, third option live with family. Um, is this a multiple selection item? Because I mean, I live with my family and I own a house. <clears throat> so I think that's a little bit confusing. Um, so I think we need to really think about what we're trying to get at there. And um, are, are they the one paying the bills is what we're trying to get at? You, you don't pay rent, living rent free with other members of my family. I'm not sure what we're trying to get at there, but uh, I th maybe that they won't, won't be paying property taxes. So if that's the case, I think we just need to be um, a little bit clear on that uh, response option there. Uh, question 15.45, what is the last grade you completed in school? Some of the options aren't grades. Like I don't consider like uh, college levels a grade. I think that applies to K-12. And so I'm sure there are better ways of asking that. Like I know typically it's asked, you know, highest level of education that you've participated in. Um, I don't know if there's perhaps reason why we're simplifying the language, which would be great. But maybe, you know, again, I would defer to the <clears throat> consultants on this, but something like the last level of school that you participated in or that you completed or something like that as opposed to grade. And then I, you mentioned the adding the neighborhood or some sort of geographic indicator. I think more, maybe more specifically than zip code. So I think neighborhood, we, we don't need to get too specific. People will have privacy concerns then with their data, but uh, I think that would be important as well. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you. I actually have a comment on one that Councilmember Falcone did not mention. <laughs> and that is that last time we did this, we did a survey, we got some pretty negative feedback on social media about asking what year people were born because they felt like it was giving away personal information that would be subject to identity theft. Do we give people the option to decline to state or I guess I'd like to ask EMC, is it better to ask people how old they are, which seems like people fear that less than asking about a specific year? 42 kind of addresses refused. Well, yeah, but it's only for the purpose of, uh, <clears throat> for the purpose of asking about seniors living in the home. Um, but yeah, it's where it says Q39 equals refused implies that it, Refuse to state is an option, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So. Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank Last. you, Madam Mayor. That's a really good point, um, Councilmember Nixon. Generally, you ask someone's year of birth because you get uh, more accurate data that way. There are some people who may forget their age, especially as they age. So date of birth is something that's consistent. <laughs> so you get more accurate data that way. I However, to address that concern, I can imagine if you ask age categories, like are you between this and that, that might be a way to get around that if they prefer to. It takes a little more time, but it, people might feel more comfortable with it because it they wouldn't see it as giving a specific item of personal information to a stranger. Yeah, we can certainly raise that with them. Okay. Yeah, thanks. All right. Um, I don't think there are any other questions coming about the demographics. Um, so 
I know you all, um, this is our last slide and um, you've been providing good mm -hmm. feedback throughout um, and then just wanted to ask if there's any other changes you'd want to make. And then um, before we jump into that, the next steps on the staff end will be to take the feedback from this meeting and share it with EMC to incorporate the changes. We are also gonna have the Public Disclosure Commission review the questions before we have them out in the field. And our timeline for approving the questions is approximately um, April 11th, I believe, so that they can be um, really finalized and the EMC team can get them ready to have in the field during the week of April 17th to get the 400 responses. And then we'll follow that by the two to three weeks of the open link survey. And we'll bring those results to council on May 16th. That's the end of our presentation. <clears throat> Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Not surprising. I have just one more piece of feedback. I think I say this every time we talk about surveys and that surveys are not just data collection. It's a messaging opportunity with the community and then everyone that is participating in the survey. And currently we, um, we end on demographics, which is great, but I want us to be thoughtful about both how we start the survey and how we end the survey, because this is gonna influence, these folks are probably, it's a pretty lengthy survey. So someone's gonna be pretty cognitively involved in this and emotionally involved in this issue if they really are thoughtful throughout this. So they're gonna go tell their friends and neighbors about the survey that they took. And we want it to be a positive experience. We wanna end it on a very positive note, a way that we, that we hope that we are actually gathering support by doing this effort as well. Well, I know that the city has to be careful about that, but um, as a council member, I care about that. Mm -hmm. But let's just, um, I think, be thoughtful about how we start and end the survey uh, so that we just have a good touch point community members with this. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. I think I turn it back to you. I have just two quick things. Uh, first, just want to let you know that um, we've been asked to so send a letter of support for Sound Transit asking for a federal grant to have battery electric buses for their stride system. And we've done a similar support letter in the past. So uh, some council okay with me. I signed the last one. I would just sign this one saying the city of Kirkland supports this grant application for Sound Transit. Mm -hmm. Kind of check in on that. Okay, thank you. And then <clears throat> I wanted to also let you know that um, I'm with my racer president hat on. Um, as you know, we hired a new executive director, Brooke Bittner. We are also in the process, we hope, having an administrative assistant position hired this week. So we should have an announcement on that. But the reason I bring that up is that those were the two things we we're looking for before we could schedule our first principal's assembly. So we're going to be getting back to you with more information on this, but we're looking at possibly the first week or so of June for the principal assembly for RACER. So stay tuned and we'll have to come back to the council with my other hat on to say who's gonna be the principal assembly attendee for Kirkland. Maybe it's seven people, maybe it's one, I don't know. But um, so uh, we'll be coming back with that selection process, but uh, we are gonna start to tentatively search for dates the first week of June for that very first assembly. So exciting things are starting to happen and um, RACER moves forward. And so then with that, uh, any other calendar updates before I'm finished? <laughs> no, let's not. Okay, if there are no calendar updates, I would just like to finish by saying we did go through our interview process for um, all of the, I don't know, what, 28 interviews for boards and commissions. It was an amazing night. Again, we were overwhelmed with uh, the amount of talent that is interested in serving their community. One of the interviewees is in the audience still. Uh, it was a great process. We felt really good about it, and we are now adjourned. Thank you all for Thank you all. a hard night of work. <laughs>